Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk. Hello and welcome to the spookiest edition of the Dura Sisters podcast. <laughs> I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. <laughs> and today, <laughs> if you couldn't tell, is the first episode of our spooky series. Ashlyn, you chose this epic series. I want you to talk a little bit about your inspiration for this series. Okay. Oh my gosh. Well, it's not It's not very deep. Like sometimes I choose series because I feel like I need to explore the depths of <laughs> characters. But I chose the series because it's October and I texted Rihanna in July at some point and I said, whosoever series falls around Halloween, we have to do a spooky series. And when First Officers was kind of in the middle and ending, I was like, oh, F, I am the one that has to choose spooky. So here we are. And I'm really excited because this is our, we're starting our third year of podcasting, which is insane to me. And we don't do a ton of holiday seasonal Trek themes. Mm -hmm. So I thought it would be really exciting to do a Halloween theme. Yeah, so really very basic, but... I also was really excited to talk about these spooky episodes because they are Trek episodes that we have not covered in our other series, especially for the original series, which we're talking about today. I've only seen these episodes one time, or there's one episode, which I will mention later, that I have literally never finished. So, (laughs) yeah, I just had a blast preparing for this today, and... Rihanna and I are in full spooky Halloween meltdown. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Yeah, and we're actually even going especially crazy because we're going to try to pump out as many episodes as we can for the month of October. So we will be releasing the original series episode this week as normal. And then the Next Generation episode is going to like boom, boom, like drop pretty much right Right away. Yeah. Yeah, so we're hoping to get all the way up to Voyager by the time Halloween comes out. And then the weeks before Thanksgiving are still spooky. We've talked about this before. It is fall. Fall is kind of spooky times. We're all feeling like the seasonal depression start to hit and that's pretty scary, you know, so. Very scary, um, dark outside. (laughs) Yeah, everything's getting dark. The leaves are changing. So uh, I- The smell of decay in the air. Ah, yes, exactly. The cemeteries are like getting cleaned up. I I don't know. Yeah, because that only happens in, in fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I just am very, 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 very excited to launch this spooky series with you all. And I think it's going to be a very different series than we've done before. Rihanna, I noticed that right now you are in a skeleton onesie. <laughs> yes, uh, I got this a few weeks ago before October started because this Halloween as I normally do, I go pretty crazy with costuming. And so I prepare my costumes far in advance. I went to a local thrift shop to get a bunch of uh, closet cosplays for Star Trek stuff, as you all saw from my Kira cosplay during the First Officer series. And 
as a part of that, I got this skeleton onesie, because if anyone is a fan of Phoebe Bridgers, you'll remember that her album cover, Punisher, is her in her skeleton onesie out in a forest looking beautiful. And so I got a Phoebe Bridgers, like, same silvery wig, and my girlfriend and I are going to go out to the forest to take some amazing photos of me in my skeleton onesie for Halloween. Um, and so I thought, you know, this is perfect, because I can wear this for our spooky series as well. Amazing. And Ashlyn, I noticed you have a really epic sweatshirt on. Well, it's like the light sweater, and it has dancing yeah. skeletons. Um, it's amazing. We're going to post this online. Online. <laughs> Find it on <laughs> The <Google>. years 2008, <laughs> we're posting it online. Um, we'll post this on our socials, and you'll be able to feel the spooky spirit with us. Rihanna, I think to start off this episode, instead of forgetting, we are going to remember <laughs> to choose an action figure to help us get through the podcast. I will say that we have both stacked our bags and kind of rigged them so all of the original series action figures are on top. Let's um, do the shake. Um, I also threw in a triple in there, and I also have to admit that I didn't remember that I had Pike, which I feel terrible about because well, for the oh. last episode, <laughs> I thought I didn't have Una or anyone from <laughs> the cage, but I do have Pike. So I threw him in if he gets chosen it's uh, it's meant to be. <laughs> it's even more special. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I also added every single Spock from my Spock shrine. Rare. So we have rare. a lot of Spock options. <laughs> <laughs> or shall we say Spockshins, so. Should we? <laughs> okay, Ashlyn, we are choosing. Digging into the figures. Here we go. Oh, God, I don't like the sound of the action figures. <laughs> wow. Okay, beautiful. Okay, I picked mine. Ashlyn, you picked yours. Please tell us, who did you pick? I have Kirk from City on the Edge of Forever. <laughs> I have blue-shirted Sulu. This is a very rare action figure. I'm sure we got him at some Starfest convention uh, in some action figure bin because I have yet to find him elsewhere. And he seldom wears a blue shirt, but he's looking really great. And I'm so surprised I didn't choose a Spock. I have, like, 12 of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not super surprised that I chose this Kirk, but I am happy because, Rihanna, you gave him to me. And he's wearing his classic uh, City on the Edge of Forever, I'm a Homeless Person outfit. We have our action figures ready to go. Let's dive into the first portion of this, which is going to (laughs) be... A lot of shout-outs and a lot of housekeeping. Okay, yeah. So everyone knows who are regular listeners that the beginning of our series is always a little bit um, longer. (laughs) We just have a lot to talk about today. So first of all, last month we did a really awesome recording with Battlespace 9 podcast with Carl Danielson. And we talked about the Deep Space Nine episode, The Collaborator, and then Battlestar Galactica episode, Colonial Day. That episode has just dropped We had so much fun on that podcast. Seriously, like really thoughtful, funny, exciting, just overall wonderful podcast. It was really great to be on. We love fellow Star Trek philosophy podcasts. So please go take a listen to that. You can find it in the link in our bio. Yeah, it's truly amazing. And if you haven't seen Battlestar, like it's no big deal because we hadn't seen it either. And we just watched that episode for the pod and it was really wonderful. So thank you, Carl. Another thing, which you might have seen on our socials already, in tandem of our spooky series and in the spirit of Halloween, Ashlyn and I wanted to give you all a couple extra episodes 
that are Trek adjacent. And so we decided, let's talk about the Star Trek actors who have starred in The Twilight Zone, which of course is a 1959 to 1964 series. This is a, I mean, God, prolific series. The Twilight Zone really sort of created the genre of sci-fi horror and created the genre of like using sci-fi as a means to talk about political issues. And there are so many similarities to Star Trek and the Twilight Zone, including some cast members like William Shatner, George Takei, James Doohan, and Leonard Nimoy. So we talked about that in our live episode on Saturday, and it's just so wonderful to be able to talk about these fantastic actors to add to our spooky ambiance, there's a siren <laughs> that you can probably hear. So yeah, and I watched all the Twilight Zone in college, finally got through it all. So I'm really just so happy that we were able to do this. Yeah, so that can be replayed anytime on our YouTube channel. We are the Dura Sisters podcast on YouTube. And additionally, because we just want to go crazy this month with Halloween stuff, we are also going to be doing a live pumpkin carving event, which yes. <laughs> like is amazing. I'm so excited. On October 21st at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So we really hope you can maybe grab a pumpkin and a knife <laughs> of your yeah. own and carve yourself up a pumpkin with us. We are going to just be talking and hanging out and carving up pumpkins. So please join us on the 21st. Yeah, you want unfiltered Dura Sisters? This is the place to do it. We're going to be carving track pumpkins and having a blast. Woo, woo, spooky. All right, and then moving right along, now we are going to do some shout outs. So as usual, we are so thankful. I'm going to start from bottom to top this time and say thank you to Michelle, Ivan Fetch, T. Alexander, Anna Post, Never Otter Even, Jeff Richardson, Gil Dara, John T. Bolds, Rick Mason, Wolf Wit, and Kurlan Nyskos. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced your name. I just want to thank you patrons as usual for being a part of our community and supporting our pod. We are in the midst of sending stickers to new patrons. So if you would like a sticker, you can join our Patreon and that's, that's, that's it. That's how it goes. Also, we have received some really wonderful comments and posts from our good friends on our social media. In response to our Una First Officer episode last week, Astrid.Tardis said, Thank you so much for this episode. I've only gotten so far as to your rewatch of Discovery, but so much love and laughter at your analysis and review of The Cage. I haven't been able to listen as much of your pod as I have wanted to. Kids, work, getting in the way, regretfully. But I quickly made time for this. So thankful for a good, long, and thorough talk about number one. So ready for season two and hoping for much more of her on screen. 100% agree. Thank you, Astrid Tardis. I love your name, by the way. Yes. Like, go Doctor Who fans. Absolutely. Woo-woo. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much. That means just the world when we get comments like this. Yeah, thank you so much. Also, just a shout out to that girl Laven for making a post on Instagram and mentioning us in a group of podcasts to check out. The other podcasts that were shouted out in this post were also Acting Captain, Yelling About Star Trek, Trechnological, The Satorial and Geek, Captain's Quadrant, The Trek Table, Nerd Trek Network, and The Dura Sisters. So thank you so much for adding us to that list. It is just outstanding to think about how many Trek podcasts that are out there. I was further reminded of that because Haven on Twitter also posted a list of about 50 other Trek podcasts to follow. 
And additionally, we were added by John Dorowski to the Support Trek Talk pod community on on TikTok. Yes. So, so I'm just like overwhelmed with love at all the support that we receive from our listeners and from the community in general. And it's just a reminder that there are so many amazing Trek podcasts out there. So please like branch out, listen You'll to some podcasts. Literally, yeah. you will never run out. There's so many. Okay, so... Ashlyn, I want to thank you so much for creating a really epic watch list for this week's TOS recording of the Spooky Series, and I'm wondering if you can just read to our audience the episodes that you prepared for us, because it's truly magnificent. Thank you, Rihanna. It was really fun making this watch list. I I always really appreciate that we generally tend to trade off making the watch list depending on whose series it is because Mm -hmm. the person who's most passionate and who chose the series gets a chance to really dive in and think deeply about these episodes. And when I first was thinking about what spooky or Halloween episodes or even just scary episodes in general that exist in the original series, I literally thought about like 30 episodes because there are a lot of really good freaky episodes out there. But I was really trying to go for that Halloween feel. I mean, it's a spooky series. And so the basic criteria for that has to be, I'm a little bit afraid. There's some sense of mystery or foreboding yeah foreboding things are not as they seem so all of these episodes that I chose are not strictly like traditional Halloween episodes and there has to be like an aura of horror or like really good like scary sci-fi in the way that maybe like the shots are filmed or the way that the episode was directed and so that in mind this is what we watch to prepare for this spooky episode We are going to start with the category Things That Haunt Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) Very niche. Yes, and we watch The Conscious of the King and then Obsession. And then we're going to be moving on to our mind control slash brainwashing section, which includes Dagger of the Mind, Return of the Archons, Lights of Zetar, and The Children Shall Lead, and Wolf in the Fold. And then we will be ending the episode with Witchcraft, so the peak of spookiness, with What Little Girls Are Made Of, Magics of Magus 2, which is, of course, an animated series episode. Had to throw that one in there. And we will be finishing out the episode with Cat's Paw. Now, I think let's focus more about the series and kind of get warmed up into talking about good sci-fi horror. And Rihanna, I know you have been just so hyped to answer this question. So I'm going to ask you, what are elements of TV shows and movies that make really fantastic horror? I'm going to add a little asterisk to that as well, and I'm going to be talking a bit more about books. um, Great. Because I am a not, I wouldn't say definitely not at all a horror connoisseur. Um, I don't often read horror, but when I do, it's usually sci-fi. I've been actually getting into the sci-fi horror genre a lot more recently since I read the book The Last Astronaut by David Wellington. It was a surprising read for me because it's coined as... Commission Commander Sally Jansen is Earth's last astronaut astronaut and last hope, you know? And so you're just like, okay, cool. Sounds like your basic sci-fi premise where it's like one astronaut has to save Earth. Dun, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. But then once I was getting into the book, I realized that it had a very cool horror element to it. The mind of David Wellington is vast. He was able to really create an entire spaceship and an entire species 
that is utterly terrifying and very alien-esque. Like, it, it was clear that he was hearkening off of, very, of great old sci-fi horror movies. Like I said, Alien, even like Arrival, if you have all seen that. It was an Oscar nominee uh, quite a few years back. There are elements of it that make me feel like he's creating an entire new species to scare us, you know, but to also to, to discover and to figure out, like, just the ship itself that these astronauts are going into is, like, miles and miles long, and then they have to climb down in pitch blackness, and, like, the darkness is, like, literally psychologically messing with their minds. And so, you know, you have the inside, and I think what makes this book so successful is the suspense element mixed with the quick horror scenes, you know, where you have the hours of climbing down this spaceship and then you have like one second of a character getting taken and next thing you know they're like bloody guts are everywhere and you're like holy moly like this is insane someone's dead it, you, it, and it was so calm or so like I could feel the suspense but then it breaks you know and so then that is something that's so important about horror is that building the suspense to a point where you can barely stand it anymore you know I think that that is what we see so well I think that that is what is so well done in movies like Halloween where you have so much time where Mike, Michael Myers is just stalking you know and that's the suspense part or you're just like I'm just waiting for him to stab somebody like I'm very scared and that he doesn't you know you're still waiting for it like I think that I have a bit of problems with like just slasher movies you know like horror movies because the things that make horror so great to me is like the unbearableness of it you know of waiting for that shoe to drop i also want to shout out thomas harris who is a fantastic author he wrote all of the hannibal books as well as silence of the lambs red dragon hannibal hannibal rising uh probably a bunch more i've read most of those and silence of the lambs i read in middle school probably way too young to read that book but our mom loved to show us movies maybe a little too young that were scary but i had already seen the movie I was ready to go. I wanted to experience the book and see how a book does horror because it's so vastly different than how the movie does horror. You know, I think Silence of the Lambs is such a successful movie. We have moments of like pure terror where Clarice is like actually running from, you know, the, the perp. But then you have moments of just like Hannibal Lecter in the dark and you can barely see his face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Ashlyn just gave me chills just by that one sound. Even I think about Halloween again, you hear that, like, bum, bum, like those first two notes, and I get, like, chills all over my body, you know? And so it's all about ambiance, and that's what I think horror, excel horror excels so much. Um, so, yeah, I just think, like, go and read more horror books because you'll be surprised on how they're able to really create that world through their descriptions and through the characterization because you can have the strongest character on the page and still like, and if they're terrified, then you know stuff's about to go down. Horror is a really important genre to me. I used to absolutely hate it. I was like, why is this a thing? I'm terrified. There's a reason why people go to the movies to see horror films. There's a reason why Halloween and stuff exists. It's because people kind of like to be scared and they like to have that sort of adrenaline rush, especially like watching The Quiet Place or something where I feel like I can't even speak during it because if I speak, then the monster is going to get me as well. You know, if I make a sound or Bird Box, same thing. I closed all the curtains during Bird Box. I was like, we are not 
looking outside. I think that successful horror brings you into the world so much that, like, if you think about it, when Psycho came out, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, people didn't want to shower for months after the movie came out. Like, they were terrified to take a shower. Like, that is successful horror right there. Like, that is amazing and terrifying that someone can have so much of a grip over you from one scene in a movie. And let me just say, Psycho is my favorite horror movie. I tend to watch it every year for Halloween. I think it's probably the most successful horror movie, even though it has cheesy effects and everything. It still holds up because it doesn't rely on the effects to make it scary. It relies on the suspense and it relies on the, the score as well. And Ashlyn, I want you to talk a little bit more about music and horror because the score is a whole nother character. Same with Psycho with even just the sound editing and stuff. That, nah, 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 you know, you're like, oh my God. And last thing I'm going to say about horror too is the ending. I think that an ending in a horror film, movie, TV show, what have you, is really make or break because an ending like Psycho is so successful and the fact that it ends, oh, like he would never hurt a fly and it's just like zooms out and, and you don't really ever get a, an actual wrap up. I think that is what makes horror even better is when you're left questioning that's life. Scary stuff doesn't just like go away in your brain, you know, it still lingers with you. And I think the best horror movies linger for far long after you've seen it. Same with books, same with television. Wow, Rihanna, thank you. <laughs> yeah. that, that was amazing. That was like four minutes of pure... <laughs> Rihanna was vibrating <laughs> with <laughs> Halloween spookiness. <laughs> I'm such a like, big Halloween nerd that this is just like my wheelhouse. <laughs> I love to see it. And I can already tell this is going to be a long podcast. So buckle up, yeah, everyone. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I have several things to say in response yeah. to you. Man, I, I was coming, I, I had so many other stories come to mind, like uh, Michael Crichton's book, Sphere. Yes. Fantastic, scary sci-fi horror. Uh, Michael Crichton in general is not only, yeah, he's known for Jurassic Park, but oh my absolute God, like go read all of his books. I am, I'm actively, my life goal is to read all of them. And I think I'm about halfway oh, yeah. through right now. Also, quick caveat about Jurassic Park. It's way scarier, the book. Like, it is way scarier. horrifying stuff happens that does not happen in this happy-go-lucky dinosaur movie. So and, go read it. Which yeah. is funny to say happy-go-lucky because that is kind of a scary <laughs> movie, too. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's a scary movie, but, like, the book is terrifying yes, at it's, points. It's yeah. so good. So Michael Crichton, I'm thinking about um, The Shining and mm. Blair Witch Project all of these movies, oh, The Exorcist that I like, I watched mm -hmm. as a teenager, like going over to friends' houses for scary Halloween movie night, and that are just iconic, like really historically scary movies. I love that you mentioned Psycho, very important to the genre. But I'm wondering from a human perspective, because like why why do we need and why do we watch scary movies? And why is this such an important part of our human experience? And for me, I feel like we are not cavemen anymore. Fighting every day to stay alive doesn't mean you have time to sit around and like make up stories and get your heart rushing with adrenaline because you're running from a saber-toothed tiger. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you've already got that. Your yeah. adrenaline is pumping. And so we are very, like, we're still struggling to deal with our primal instincts. So I feel like part of why we love watching scary movies so much is, I, I, I don't know, like it feels, it feels good to have your adrenaline pumping, one. And then also I think 
we've created so many anxieties and issues for ourselves that are human based. Like we created taxes and money and <laughs> like society. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. all of this is very stressful. It's, very, mm-hmm. it's hard to be a human in this time. Mm-hmm. And I think a horror movie or anything that's scary, rem- like it makes you forget. And that's, I mean, that's what all media does. That's why we consume media is to forget. But I think there's nothing quite like having your heart rush as you're watching your favorite character try to fight something that's really scary and you feel like, I might get stabbed if I don't lock my door tonight. Yeah. So I don't know, Rihanna, what, uh, does that resonate with you at all? Like, why do you think we need to consume this type of media? I think you hit it on the nose. It's the adrenaline. It's the ability to, I think, though, to have a designated time to be really scared and then to go back to your regular life. See, I think I'm going to have a lot of people disagree with me here. I hate true crime. I could never consume it. It absolutely terrifies me. My friend would literally tell me just a story about a true crime podcast she was listening to, and I would have nightmares. Like, anything that's actually a true story freaks me out to no end, and I don't understand how people can listen to true crime and then just, like, go to bed and be fine and not think that they're going to get murdered by, like, I don't know, the, uh, what's the California guy? Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not going to get murdered by Jack no, the Ripper. No, that's the London guy. <laughs> um, oh, there's so many Well, there was one California there. guy that got caught at the age of 80, finally, like, DNA evidence. Yeah, I um, remember I was in a poetry workshop class, and the guy was like, whoa, they just caught this guy. And I was like, what? The Golden, the Golden State, State Killer. Killer. Yeah. Spooky. So, yeah, the Golden State Killer, that kind of thing. Like, those stories, because they're real, it, it it's really accentuating the horrors of humanity and the, the terrible, twisted things that humans can do to each other. But for some reason, when I see a completely fictional story, even if it's based on a true story, because a lot of things will say that very loosely, I don't know why, but for me... I can watch the bloodiest, goriest murder scene in history. I mean, I watch Game of Thrones. I watch Attack on Titan. Like, I'm used to gore and stuff like that. And that's, of course, fantasy gore. It's really different than the kind of horror we're speaking of, which is more Silence of the Lambs or, like, The Shining, which could actually kind of maybe happen. Um, But there's still the comfort that it's fiction. And so I think there's this difference, at least for me, where... Uh, yeah, I may have a nightmare. Like, I remember when I saw The Shining uh, the first time, I usually kept my door open, like, a crack so that our cat Thunder could come in and out during the night. But then it reminded me of, here's Johnny, you know, and I kept, <laughs> think, kept like, thinking that Jack Nixon's face was going to, like, pop out in between the crack in my door. So I just, like, closed it or kept it wide open. But even so, that was, like, a week and then I was fine. And I think that, obviously, if, like, that had actually happened to me in real life, you would never get over it and it would it would be something very traumatic and so I think the fact that we get to then step back into our normal lives after is really cool also it comes from humans like innate desire to sort of it's sort of the um our grandma calls it gawker's block (laughs) but like sort of when you're like seeing an accident on the highway and you can't look away it's sort of our fascination with tragedy Uh, I I like that you said gawker's block because the reason it's called that is because everyone slows down to see what's going on because they want to see the accident 
But I yeah, said that exactly. to Danny, like a, I've uh-huh. said that to him before, and he's like, no, it's called something else. So I didn't realize this was like a regional term. Um, <laughs> Everyone calls it something different. Our grandma has amazing, hilarious terms for things. So. Yeah, but you're totally right. We love sort of secretly to see like literal car accidents. <laughs> yeah, like we have this fascination with tragedy and with um, horrific things. And so horror is a way to watch it in a safe space where it's not real and it's not happening to real people. Ah, oh, man, there's so much to talk about. And uh, I... Uh, I'll just say one last thing and then we'll get on to Trek. I want to address what you said about like the true crime aspect. Mm -hmm. There's been Dahmer is the biggest thing on Netflix right now, which what's Netflix doing? Oh yeah. Like one thing. Um, (laughs) They're doing Dahmer right now. And I keep seeing interviews and I've heard different people talking like to different news outlets talking about how true crime can be really traumatizing for the people who lived through it, obviously. Yeah. In a show like Dahmer, I read that Netflix did not consult any of the actual people involved when they made nope, that. And not would, even the scholars who were studying. Yeah, like literally no one. And so, like, I actually like true crime. Like, I love that Netflix series on Ted Bundy. It was really interesting. But I have kind of soured to these shows because I'm, I'm starting to understand now that all it does is bring up trauma for the people involved and it's often not even true. Or if it's mm-hmm. if it is true, or like exaggerated. Yeah, or exaggerated. So I just have trouble with that too. And I feel like why are we talking about real life murders when we have things like Star Trek and we have thousands of other sources to create terrifying totally. media from even if it's loosely based off a true story, you don't have to traumatize like a whole generation of people who lived in fear of Ted Bundy or Dahmer. I am really excited to talk about Trek. And Rihanna, just thank you. Yeah. I always, Rihanna and I, sometimes we get going like on our phone calls and we accidentally realize that we've been talking for like an hour and a half. And we started yeah. by calling to say, oh, I have a question about the pod. And then, yeah. yeah. And then one of our partners is like, um, can we have dinner? <laughs> like literally, like, I've we're been hungry. waiting. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I just, I love going on at length, Rihanna, with you. Well, and it's so important to talk about the genre of horror because we have to place it, you know, like, and, and also really quickly, I do want to mention, like, we are talking about a show that, like, aired in the 60s. And so this is going to be a completely different type of horror because we're talking about a lot of new horror like Us and Arrival and, you know, movies that have just come out. So I think it's going to be really interesting to look at, like, how older shows and like other eras looked at horror and how what they thought was scary. Hitchcock had of course huge influence on horror in this era as well as Rod Sterling who created The Twilight Zone. So I think it's really important to think about like contextually. Okay well so we for this series are starting something new. We're trying to have even more engagement with our audiences and we put out a poll this week on Twitter and Instagram So we put out a toll, you paid $4 to drive across the bridge and place your vote in a bucket. Um, So we asked you, what are the scariest episodes of the original series? And especially what are episodes that scared us as kids, even though they weren't scary? So Rihanna, what were responses that people said? Yeah, so from Deep Space Leftist, we got two comments. Uh, Their first was, LOL, Spock's brains frightens me, but not because it's scary. (laughs) (laughs) 
hilarious response. Um, and then their second response was Cat's Paw, mm-hmm. which we are going to see thematically. A lot of people responded with that. Sukarabana7 said Wolf in the Fold. Kitya Kaisel responded Mirai. Kids are creepy. <laughs> Agreed. Our kids are creepy. Um, Why Mr. Spock also said Cat's Paw, especially the witches at the beginning. Captain Kirk. <laughs> Very scary, If you didn't yes. catch what our ode was, that it was to Cat's Paw. <laughs> Absolutely. And then also Russ Peliquin says all of them because they would always show the creepy Balok doll in the credits, <laughs> which so fair. That is very creepy. Um, he was saying that really scared him as a kid as well. Uh, Shattered Worlds RPG said that Mirai was also very scary to them as a child. Yeah, and I think when we did the poll on Twitter, uh, oh, yeah. Cat's Paw was the spookiest. Is that right? Yes, Cat's Paw won by 40%. Wolf in the Fold was 30%. Dagger of the Mind was 20 And Whom Gods Destroy was 10 Very interesting. So for you, what episode as a kid really scared you? And to this day, like, what do you think is the best spooky episode of Trek of the original series? Yeah, great question. Um, for me as a kid, hilariously, the pancakes in Operation Annihilate freaked me out. I think the fact that they could fly, the fact I didn't really know what they were, um, the fact that they hurt Spock, they're causing everyone to like go mad and like die of madness. It was like a creepy premise to me, even though the episode is not inherently creepy, it's still got those thriller elements. Yeah, I thought those pancakes were absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Ashlyn, how about you as a kid? What what scared you? For me, actually, Wolf in the Fold really scared me, but mostly because the voice of Jack the Ripper is Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. Ah! And so, like, hearing that, like, warm and wonderful voice on Jack the Ripper, like, <laughs> is really, really creepy to me. Good choice, yeah. And I think as far as a Trek episode that really holds up or is it's continuously scary, anyone with kids like Mirai or And the Children Shall Lead, I'm not a huge kids fan, <laughs> to just disclaimer. And so anytime there's spooky kids and like The Shining and like the kids are always used as like an element of horror in movies. And Danny's and not here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like we've got so much of that, you know, I see dead people. It's just like always, the kids are out here knowing something that everyone else doesn't <laughs> the kids, know, and it's terrifying. The kids are not all right. <laughs> no, they are not. <laughs> okay, well, this must be a Dura Sisters record. We are going to start talking about these episodes. But, you know, I like to think that when a really long, juicy episode drops on your feed, you get excited and you said, awesome, now I can listen to this while I'm on my road trip or while I'm doing my long drive. You can break it up over several days. So I'm not even apologizing. This yeah. <laughs> is the start of a really awesome series and you're going to enjoy it or you're going to pause it. So <laughs> yeah. literally our mom goes like starting part two of Deep Space Nine, part two. <laughs> We're like, yep, here you go. Sounds right. Thank you everyone who contributed to answering those questions and contributed to our poll. Keep a lookout because we will be asking everyone that same question for every series. So TNG, DS9, Voyager, all of that stuff. Woo. It's going to be great. I'm very yes. excited. Okay, well, this is the beginning of Kirk is Haunted by His Past. <laughs> so let's talk about The Conscious of the King. Woo! Shakespeare galore. This is a really great episode. One that really grew on me, I gotta say. As a kid, even though I was kind of big into Shakespeare even as a middle schooler, 
we watched this, what, when I was in, like, <laughs> I think I was barely entering middle school when we started uh, the original series, so I wasn't quite into Shakespeare enough to appreciate it, and I thought it was an extreme snooze fest, and so it's really fun getting to go back now and watch this episode and actually appreciate it and be like, oh, I'm actually at a mental age where I can, like, sit through some of the slower scenes and actually enjoy them. Absolutely. I totally this is a agree. Theme, I think for a lot of these episodes. For well, me. I think also this one's kind of a talky episode, mm -hmm. um, but it's it's very suspenseful as well. Yes. And I want to say right off the bat, we have a knife. That's the first shot of the whole episode. Yes. So I think that really sets the precedent, and that's something that's I also had in mind when I was making this watch list is what starts out kind of scary and thrilling, and then does the episode maintain that same movement and direction the entire episode and conscious of the king it, so we start out we're seeing Macbeth and yeah. um <laughs> with Kodos we later find out it's actually Kodos the executioner on stage <laughs> um that's rough buddy <laughs> but it's this it's this um this group of actors and I later we find out in the episode that they are an acting troupe that are dedicated to performing classics in space and I have that's to just, the dream yeah, yeah I have to shout out right now like as an artist as someone who really loves like art song and performing music that used to be a big hit like in yeah. in the past in different and new contexts is one of my favorite things to do like a very niche passion of mine Love and that. so I was really connecting to this acting troupe because they're I, I just wish I could have watched this and I, I hope in the future Same. someday there will be um, performances of opera in space and oh, and yes. Shakespeare in space as we get right here. Rihanna, I was thinking, you you asked me to talk about the music, and yeah. I I don't know Macbeth as well as you do, but this music seemed awfully light and charming for a heavy play like Macbeth. So what did you think of this first scene when we see the actors doing their thing? I mean, to be honest, I'm so entranced. Whenever I hear Shakespeare, I kind of like don't focus on anything else. Mm. I wasn't really paying attention to the music in this scene. I am really thrilled that they chose Macbeth and Hamlet to be the forefront of these episode or of this episode. Firstly, because Macbeth, it's sort of like them subtly giving us a hint. What's it called? Foreshadowing. It's sort of foreshadowing to the real perpetrator of these murders, which is going to be Lady Macbeth, which is his daughter. Which is weird that he plays that she plays his wife. Lady Macbeth. Uh, I thought that was that. weird. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, oh, some bizarre. Game of Thrones stuff going on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but we have sort of the, the whole story of Macbeth is that Lady Macbeth is really pulling the strings. I mean, the witches really are. They're like just having a blast, like making, like just playing with Macbeth and playing with his uh, whole story. But she is the pinnacle of it. And she's the one who forces Macbeth to kill Macduff. And there's the whole, you know, scenes that they showed us, that scene where he has killed Macduff and then he comes back to Lady Macbeth and she's like, is it done? You know, she is clearly the uh, the head of this plan, like the daughter is in this story. And so I think that this is just wonderful storytelling by using another story to fit into the narrative that you're writing, which they did again for Hamlet, which Hamlet is already a play put on to catch a murderer. And so then they put on the play of the play that put on to catch a murderer, if that makes sense. It's so meta. I just love that. And I love that about Shakespeare is that you can go so deep with him 
or you can stay very surface. And so I'm really glad that they decided to choose these two plays. I think it was very deliberate. Yes, they're probably his two most famous, so they wanted something recognizable, but it worked really well because these are probably, I mean, they're two tragedies. They're very intense. There's a lot of death and gore and blood and violence and stuff. And so a lot of lying, a lot of like subterfuge, you know, which is exactly what Kodos has been doing all these years. He's been staying under the radar with the help of his daughter. She's trying to wipe out the last of the survivors who saw his face so that she, he can finally be free of his past. And that is, you know, like kind of similar to the fact that Hamlet is trying to catch Claudius in the act of, you know, of saying, oh, you were the one who murdered my father. And so I also just want to note too, I think it's cool that the roles that Kodos plays are Macbeth, and then he plays Hamlet's ghost dad. <laughs> you know, I think that that is really interesting that he didn't play Hamlet, because he's not the one trying to figure this out. But he also didn't play Claudius. Like, he kind of played this like older figure who is orchestrating it all, but is not actually involved in it. Because we know that the perpetrator is actually his daughter, the murderer aka Claudius. Yeah, I think that was really wonderful, but I didn't really notice the music. I think that's kind of Trek though, especially TOS. They love their da-da-da, even if it's like a serious scene. Yeah, it was like the murder scene is happening and the music is like, and I'm like, this is just wrong. Like, this is not hitting right. And as a side note, I'm so thankful to have uh, English major as my co-host. <laughs> and I'm so thankful to have a music major as mine. So we're really covering all our bases. Because here. woof, that went all over my head. I could not even tell you the plot of Hamlet if there was a gun to my head. I would be like, Dang. I'd be like, it's the Lion King. I mean, yeah, you get it right. You would There's survive. There's a guy that. and an uncle. Yeah. <laughs> Correct, actually. Yeah. The play is the thing wherein he'll catch the conscience of the king. Yeah. Boom. There you go. I just. I just didn't realize that it was kind of like Hamlet was nesting dolls of totally is of yeah. murder catching. So that's kind mm-hmm. of and mm-hmm. and Star Trek is using it that way. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for laying the groundwork on all that Shakespeare. Very yeah. important. I mean, and those are scary. <laughs> like, I mean, with the witches and Macbeth, like, very, yeah. yeah, very Halloween spooky, scary. I want to talk about uh, the survivors of the Kodos moment Tarsus yeah, yeah of, of Tarsus four so there were originally nine there are only seven well six when this um episode starts because Kirk's old friend Tom uh Spock describes him as occasionally brilliant <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> extremely high praise yeah coming from Spock he we see has lost like half of his face Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's from the events that occurred on Tarsus Four. So Kodos like did that to him. Yeah. He doesn't. He's like missing an eye, and he is. <laughs> I guess he doesn't have access to like good medical care because I feel like the future would be able to give him more than just like a black thing across his face. <laughs> yeah, um, agreed. But I, 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 that's how they. That's how it is. And so this guy. This is the whole reason that Kirk is seeing the play and has been called to the station. Is that. He thinks that the lead actor is Kodos. Yeah, Thomas does, yeah. Yeah, Thomas does. And he seems very obsessive to me, which is another theme that I think plays really well in horror, is Mm -hmm. the idea of obsession and what it can drive someone to. In this case, Tom is right. But even his wife is like, oh my god, Tom, like, not this again. Stop talking about Kodos. Mm -hmm. But I kind of feel bad for Tom, especially when we see his injury, because you can tell that this... Fang has weighed heavily on him for so long and it's a huge red flag when he sees and hears this voice of this man who's haunting his dreams. Yeah. Um, what I think 
is interesting to watch is then to see how Kirk proceeds after all of this happens because he wants to do this alone. He is not even telling Spock or McCoy about this, which is so rare. I don't, I, yeah. I can't think of another episode where he goes in on this alone. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> what we'll talk about next. <laughs> okay. So this is a Kirk tendency. This is why they're yeah. good together. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I love how he deals with this. So he goes to this party. Tom invites him over that night to a party that he's throwing at his house because he wants to host the cast of actors and he wants to get a chance to talk to the actor who he suspects of being Kodos and see for himself. So Kirk's like, sure, I'll stop by, whatever, it's fine. And while he's at the party, he is flirting classic Kirk with the daughter. But this is one of the first times I'm really thinking that he's not doing this for a lay. He is actually investigating her. And you can see how he's masterfully dodging her questions and reflecting them right back to her. Like, oh, like, where are you from? Like, what's what's your deal? And he's asking questions about her dad under the guise of, hey, you want to go back to my place? Yeah, I really love this. And this is actually something that we're going to be seeing thematically from Kirk in these episodes. Yes. Uh, is his, like, lack of horniness, <laughs> I guess, is well, a word for it. <laughs> I think also his skill as an investigator, too, which yeah. I never think about when I think about Kirk. No, but Spock, I think of. Yeah. yeah, but Kirk is really good at reading people and especially getting information out of women because he's very charming and everyone's throwing themselves at him. So he's like, might as well use this to my advantage. In the same guise, so is the daughter. She's sort of using Kirk um, because she knows, obviously, that he's one of the survivors. She knows that Thomas is. She knows that Riley is. And she's prepared to eliminate them all. And as she has killed the remaining survivors like it's only what them th three left it's tom riley and kirk left nine. yep yeah um and just quick background in case someone hasn't seen this episode in a while uh tarsus four there was a famine on tarsus four and before relief vessels could come to supply them with food kodos the current governor on or the governor at that time decided to take it into his own hands and to execute half of the population thanos style in order for the rest of the population to not starve and so he executed four thousand people and um thomas layton describes it as butchering so it clearly wasn't this like swift thing you know it was it was systematic it was he chose he picked and chose he picked and chose people uh, to be executed and only nine of them actually ever saw his face and so this is another thing that adds to the really like horror creepy element of this is that we're only getting you know stories of Tarsus we don't actually see flashbacks or anything like that but just the fact that like a governor can go around and no one actually knows what he looks like and can be in such control and such charge to have he probably wore a mask or something or had some sort of fake face on or whatever which i love that then they do that there's that beautiful scene where uh where kodos is playing hamlet's father and he has the mask in front of him you know and so it made me think back to tarsus 4 and probably like seems like you had a similar mask on back then you know if people couldn't actually identify you by your face except for those nine Exactly. I really enjoy the scene where Kirk is back on the Enterprise doing his own investigation and he's just talking at the computer like, show me a record of Kodos and then he's comparing the 
like documents that the actor has and Mm -hmm. Kirk finds out that basically this actor's backstory starts the day that Kodos vanished so Mm -hmm. like it's been 20 years and uh, this guy just appeared 20 years ago I especially like when he shows each of their faces separately and then he's like now display them together because it brings the watcher into the mystery too because Kirk is unsure and it makes you like really look and focus on the pictures like oh is that the same guy did he just change his facial hair and dye his hair or is that a totally different guy like do I believe Kirk do I believe Tom what's going on here and I love just that visual aspect of it in that scene it's absolutely gorgeous thank you for saying that um I think too we have to remember like you said this was 20 years ago so Kirk and Thomas and Riley were were basically children and so this is another element that really adds to this sort of like horror of the situation that first we're having Kirk recall a lot of trauma and we're having Thomas go through this again and Riley you know and so we see the three of them struggle in different ways to accept or to like understand what's happening because they thought the Kodos's Kodos died and they because it said his body was burned beyond recognition which is a perfect way to cover up a death, you know, is never a body. Always wait till you see the the true body. That's rule number one. Wait till the coroner gives an actual autopsy. Yeah. Um, So it's clear that this is a huge cover up from Kodos uh, once we get further on the episode. But just remember that like these were children suffering through this really traumatic event. And so it's really interesting to watch their reactions to it because Thomas is like losing his mind. He's like, I know for sure he's right, but he's like so stressed about it that, and so obsessive, like you said, that no one believes him. But in Riley's case, he just wants revenge, you know, and Kirk is kind of in the middle. He's like obsessed about this and sort of revenge driven, but also trying to figure out one, is he actually culpable? And two, like, does he deserve to die if he is Kodos? Exactly. Well, and I want to throw out, you said they're basically children. Kirk is around 34 or 35 in the Mm -hmm. first season of the original series. So that would make him 14 or 15. Riley is a baby boy. So he was probably younger. I feel like he was probably 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. And then, well, no, Riley's not 30. Yeah, Riley was probably really young. If he, because mm-hmm. I imagine he's probably like 24. Was he four? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're right. his. Right, like, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. And then Tom, around the same age as Kirk. So these are children and teenagers going mm-hmm. through this. I want to read that backstory book with Lorca, like Prime Lorca, yeah. about why was Kirk even on Tarsus for? I know, I need to, I like, can't wh- wait to read that like, book. Like, wh- yeah. why? But anyway, I want to jump forward to another scene where Kirk and Lenore are talking. This time they're on the Enterprise. So this is more Kirk's domain. Also, at this point, I should mention that he's manipulated the cast into basically getting a ride on the Enterprise mm-hmm. so he can continue his investigation without being without being obvious about it, which I thought was so smart because yeah. he basically calls the other ship that was going to pick them up and take them along and says, just cancel on them and yeah. I'll pick them up and don't worry about it. And he's like, okay, weirdo, <laughs> sure. I love, his, I love that all of his friends also owe him like a million favors. Yes. Like, Kirk is always just putting out fires for these people and they're like, yeah, bro, whatever. Like you saved my life, we're good. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And so, yeah, the whole crew, the whole cast is on the Enterprise at this point. Kirk is in his domain and he's speaking to Lenore and she has this great line. She's uh, referring to the Enterprise and she says all this power surging and throbbing yet under control are you like this captain 
And obviously, like, that's such a sensual line of her to Mm -hmm. say. She's obviously, like, talking about doing it and, like, his member, you know? Mm -hmm. And so she's trying to flatter him and say that, oh, he's so powerful. And are you, like, this powerful ship, you know? Mm -hmm. But power is really the thing that is the subject of this whole episode, Because she's the one who wants the power. She wants to rid herself and her father of this threat that the past could come back to haunt them. And then what's so Shakespearean about the whole thing is that her desire to kill all these people ends up getting her own father killed. It leads to their ultimate destruction. I love this narrative that pursuing revenge, or not even revenge, but this obsessive pursual of trying to get these last survivors is her downfall in the end yeah because he could have gone on completely under the radar i think maybe thomas like would have noticed but no one really listened to him so if thomas hadn't called anybody and the troop had just moved on and she hadn't killed thomas layton then i don't think anything would have come of it because kirk would probably be like nah it's not kodos he's dead you know yeah but it was really Thomas's death that spurred Kirk into thinking, okay, this is too coincidental, something's going on here, and led him to investigate all of this. And so, Ashlyn, I'm so, so glad you brought up the uh, ideas of power in this episode, because it's so chilling to watch the scene between Kirk and Kodos in his quarters, where Kirk asked Kodos to read from a speech that Kodos himself gave at Tarsus IV, right before the execution started, or during... And at one point, like, Kodos is not even looking at the paper. Like, he knows these words. He wrote them. He spoke them. He he probably never forgot them. And so watching him, like, do this whole thing and watching Kirk watch him do it is just so, so good. And, like, it's really sort of Kirk and Kodos in this power struggle because Kirk is like, I'm this great investigator. I'm, like, pretty much figuring you out the voice patterns pretty much match identically and everything. But Kodos is not really coming from a place of power. And so I think that's what really throws me off as a viewer of thinking, oh, but like, he doesn't seem malevolent. Like the thing that I've always been sort of terrified about Kodos is that he seems like just this old man, you know, and and just this actor, you know, and he doesn't really give anything away. And it's because, of course, he's not the one murdering people, but he still was this absolute mass murderer, you know? And so the fact that you can just, like, not know that about somebody by, like, if they're just calm demeanor, you would never know that he murdered 4,000 people. Yes, Rihanna, thank you for saying that. Um, He's a very creepy person because the whole time you are trying to figure it out. And I, I thought that whole scene was very revelatory, like... Obviously, he's Kodos. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing also that's really masterful about this episode and really keeps it creepy the whole time is there's a lot of talking and a lot of, like, this power struggle dynamic going on, but it gets real once the phaser is on overload in Kirk's quarters and that feeling of, oh, my God, Kirk might die. Like, the ship might explode right now. This is the other thing about horror that I didn't mention in the beginning but I wanted to is that... Even though these are characters we know and love, and Mm -hmm. it's episodic, we know everyone's going to survive, I think really good, scary episodes will make you just so stressed out in the moment for these characters that you're not even like, oh, Kirk's going to survive, it's fine. But like when that phaser's on overload and Spock is evacuating everyone in the area, 
you know that it would really like harm the ship or cause like the whole ship to go up if it goes off. And then Kirk is just heroically like staying in there. And I'm thinking if I was the captain, would I choose to leave? Like, would I just evacuate and let the ship blow up? But Kirk is like the only chance to stop the explosion from happening. So this is really like his noble effort, you know, and that's just what is expected of him to find this phaser on overload, turn it off before any... ejects it into space oh yeah exactly he ejects it i love that like mail slot <laughs> yeah like like it's a laundry thing but like into space <laughs> yeah it's just like oh throw your trash out the in the space chute <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like Literally. what um yeah yeah i thought that scene really upped the drama of this because up to this point it's been a lot of like kind of talking 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 and then it gets even more higher stakes when uh riley is in danger And I love the scene. This, of course, when Ahura sings to him. She's in the rec room with some other people. She sings Beyond Antares. And Riley is stuck in engineering. And everyone's like, oh, are you bad boy? Why are you down there all alone, Riley? But Kirk, I think, used him as bait. You think so? I think he was trying to protect him. Uh, Yeah, that's what he said. But there were no guards posted on him very true and And he would have been more more easy to protect if he'd stayed up in ops or wherever he was transferred to around other people Mm -hmm. um and also kirk's still kind of like operating on his own at this point spock and mccoy especially spock have done thorough investigating and he has this whole exposition moment to mccoy that's so dramatic and amazing Mm -hmm. um so they're in on the plan and they're helping kirk but not because kirk asked them to and i just think it would have been much smarter to put Riley in a place more public, you know? Definitely. Because it's, I mean, you see the hand. <laughs> yeah, sprayed a little poison in his milk. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, so I just thought that was, like, creepy. And it's it's weird to see Riley, like, alone in engineering and and, and unsettling because you've just heard Ahura's beautiful music. And then right away it's like, da-da-da, like, yeah. Riley's going to die. Well, and it's even while she's singing, he's, like, choking and dying. And I think it's such a good juxtaposition. You're exactly right. Like, Ahura sounds so beautiful. And Michelle Nichols, shout out. She sounds gorgeous. And then, you know, Riley's dying and no one knows. Like, that's really scary for sure. I'm so glad he didn't die in this episode. He's so, so sweet. I love know? Riley. Yeah. Well, and mm-hmm. he says that Kodos did kill his parents. So that's also why he's vengeful. I don't know if we mentioned that yeah. already. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then let's get to the climax of this episode. So I, I love the idea, uh, or I just love that Kirk is sneaking around the set of the play because again he has not i mean he's alerted his security officers he's like hey watch out because like riley's loose (laughs) where is he Um, because he's left sick bay because he's gonna go try to get kodos um because he heard mccoy giving his log and the way that all of this information comes tumbling out is really exciting to watch because mccoy like calls kirk and he's like ah riley heard me and kirk is like you don't even have to finish your sentence Got it. You know, I'm on yeah, it. I know what he's trying to do. Yeah. And so even though Kirk, like I said, he called security, but he goes right to the center of the action himself because he feels responsible for Riley and he's responsible for Kodos. He's responsible for the the daughter, this whole situation, his crew. And so it is really suspenseful when he's sneaking around this stage. And I couldn't help but laugh and think about what the Enterprise crew was thinking. Because yeah. you can clearly, like, there are sight lines. And totally. Kirk is in the sight lines. So <laughs> I, I would just laugh and be like, oh, what's Kirk doing back there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that our captain? Like, what's he doing? Yeah. Yeah. Is he in the play? 
Um, but I just, I love this finale and this reveal is amazing, especially when they're in their period, like Hamlet outfits. And of course now, like Rian was talking about, we're in the Hamlet play, which is mm-hmm. even more meaningful. Yeah. I mean, even Lenore, uh, describes like opens with the description of Hamlet as Hamlet is a violent play in violent times. And I'm just like kind of laughing at the irony of this because she is the one saying this, but the violent times are still continuing, you know, like Tarsus IV was not that long ago. Hamlet, of course, was thousands and thousands of years ago, but like, it's really kind of terrifying to think that like, that violence never really ends, you know, and and she is proving that through the play, but also through her actions and through her like multiple murders she's committed. Yeah, I absolutely love this scene. I love that we have the behind the play action going on and then the play action itself. Um, and I I love getting to hear snippets of Hamlet. I, I read it like once a year. So I'm like, yes, I know this part. Also hilarious because he went on act one, like Hamlet's dad is in like the first, pretty much the first scene of Hamlet. And then he doesn't really reappear until like act three. And so they must have done it a bridge version because they were suddenly on act three and ready to go. And I was cracking up. I'm like, there is no way that you just got through all of that. Like, that is a very long play. But anyway, maybe so the, funny. the performances in space are uh, up to their interpretation of yeah, exactly. <laughs> which act goes in the correct order or something weird. <laughs> I mean, sometimes like people will literally put the to be or not to be soliloquy in different areas, depending on what they think is the proper reading instead of, you know, adhering to Shakespeare, but whatever. So I just thought that was really interesting. And when we find out, you know, that this is that it's Lenore, it's the daughter who was committing these murders and not Kodos, it's such a great reveal because I think there's also something really specifically Shakespearean about it, you know, Absolutely. that it's, it's like saving the father to like preserve their future, but also like you said, like she then creates their own demise. Um, but also she's so Ophelia in this because there's a point in Hamlet where Ophelia goes mad after her father is stabbed by Hamlet. Um, she doesn't know it's him, but she knows that Polina, uh, Polinus is dead and she goes mad. And so there's this like just beautiful, beautiful scene where she is like giving out flowers to people and she's like uh, talking about, oh, they weathered all when my father died. And then to see sort of Lenore's crazed behavior here at the end, she said, I would have killed a world to save him. Like, woo, that kind of like obsessive devotion to a person is terrifying. Like the lengths you will go to protect somebody from something that they did and something that they created is really scary. Well, the father, who he was as an executioner, he thought that Lenore was the only thing untouched by his massacre. Mm -hmm. And yet that's just like totally wrong because if you think about it, she's supposed to just be 19 at this point. That Mm -hmm. means she has killed seven people over the past 19 years. So that's hard to imagine as, you know, almost a 20 year old, you've already killed seven people. Just like the, I agree with you, like the way that this reveal comes out is amazing because the whole crew is watching, it's on stage in the midst of an epic play. Then you get like real life drama happening right now. (laughs) Like I would love to sit there. Um, And then I love when she yells, there are no more ghosts, I've buried them. That's what she's talking when she's talking to her dad, trying to convince him, like, I've done the right thing. I'm, I've saved you. She says, I will make the Enterprise a floating tomb. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's when she grabs the phaser. She accidentally mm-hmm. kills her dad, as we said. Because um, jumps in front of Kirk. Like, he sacrificed his life for Kirk. I think, like, maybe a final act of, like, this needs to be over. I can't keep going on like this. My daughter has killed so many people. Exactly. And I, I think it's a beautiful example of 
kind of what goes around comes around or like I was talking about like this relentless pursual we're gonna see the theme in a couple different episodes the idea of what goes around comes around yeah and the idea of obsession (laughs) let's do it (laughs) (laughs) this is another episode I have not seen since I was a child so this was very fun to rewatch, especially because I had a weird grudge against this episode. I thought it was super annoying as a kid. I think mostly I sort of broke up the TOS, TOS episodes between Shat's overacting and good Trek episodes. And I kind of put a lot of the overacting Shatner episodes into like the bad category when really it's just like a moment of him being like, <laughs> dramatic and it's not the entire episode. So it's nice to see this again and actually enjoy it. I always think of this episode as the fart episode because they keep <laughs> describing like <laughs> the smell. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk's like, well, do you smell that? It's like, Spock's like, yes, I have very sweet smelling farts, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, and so this is our second episode of the Things That Haunt Kirk uh, sort of theme. I actually just want to point out that within the first, like, God, minute of this episode, Kirk already knows what's going on. He, like, this is something that I really want to applaud Kirk for, and it, it's his, like, intuition and his ability to trust that first gut instinct because I think as a captain, you have to. You have to follow those leads in your brain, even, even if you're like, I don't know why I know this is true, I just do, you know? But this is something that has very much been sort of stalking Kirk for a while, this cloud uh, thing that killed so many of the crew of the Farragut. I want to set this up. This was 11 years ago mm-hmm. that it killed the crew on the Farragut. So, well, we get this in Strange New World season two. <laughs> I mean, we freaking I mean, it's although... the, it's the, it's the time, I think. But if it was 11 years ago, Spock served with Pike for 11 years. So I think it would have been before. Damn. Yeah, it would have been like Spock's first year. Yeah. Okay, well. I know, I wanted to see that. Maybe, I just want this to happen again. Okay, (laughs) well, I'll let it go in the wind, just like the cloud. Um, (laughs) Yes, okay, Rihanna, I like what you said. This, again, is like Kirk's investigative skills are doing overtime. (laughs) Um, Something else that these spooky episodes really tend to include is random but important side characters. And in this one, we have the son of the captain of the Farragut, who is serving on the Enterprise right now as an ensign in security. And, I mean, wow, what a coincidence. That's crazy. crazy. That's crazy. Kirk says that Gorovic, Captain Gorovic, was a captain that he was really devoted to and really meant a lot to him because it was Kirk's first assignment on a starship and he really looked up to him as a captain. We learned that he hesitated when he could have fired at the cloud and the captain died, Kirk believes, because of his hesitancy. Um, the same event occurs when Kirk sends the sun, Ensign Gorvik, down on the planet. The cloud appears and someone else dies because this guy hesitates. Kirk is passing on his obsession yes. to this Ensign. Placing his blame that he feels onto Gorvik. He tells him he's confined to his quarters. He's relieved of his duty. He was going to be chief of security. Like he was as an Ensign. 
Hudson, you know, like he truly had really good, like great Starfleet record, um, great Academy grades or whatever, you know, that got him onto the flagship. And so this is like a huge blow for Gorovic. He's like devastated. And then he really starts the cycle of blame and sort of continues Kirk's story onto Gorovic. And it's just so brilliant. It's such brilliant storytelling. I really love that they included this character and that they didn't kill him off. You know, they didn't just make him like cloud fodder, you know, like the other red shirts were. Like he had a real purpose in this episode as sort of an ability, as, as a way for Kirk to see that neither of them were at fault for this. Like if you shot at the cloud, it, no effect would have happened anyway. Yeah, even they, if they hadn't hesitated. Yeah, we learn at the end of the episode that, or middle of the episode, that phasers and torpedoes don't even affect the cloud. So why would... Wait, phasers? Fire phasers. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Did they have the same beam in the gun as they do in the ship? <laughs> <laughs> but more powerful, probably. Am I but, just yeah, thinking about phasers. this now? <laughs> I literally thought about this during this episode. He was like, fire phasers. And he's like, phasers at the ready. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's weird. Um, <laughs> but why have I never thought about that? Okay. Um, oh, yes, Rihanna. And this is this is great resolution for Kirk. Let I want to compare these villains that we've just talked about. So Kodos and the Cloud. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I love about Kirk's haunting past is that in both cases, we don't really know what the truth is. And we are going along this journey with Kirk. And Spock even has a bigger role in this episode because... <laughs> because this directly affects the way that the ship is run. And McCoy is really agitated. The whole ship is agitated because they have valuable vaccines that are going to expire. And Kirk decides to relentlessly pursue this cloud because he thinks that he can destroy it. And also he believes for, and I don't really think this is talked about too much at the beginning because Kirk is so like clouded, LOL. <laughs> and uh, Nero, he's he's just thinking about revenge and just like haunted by what happened on the Farragut. I think he kind of says it as an excuse, like this cloud could go on and kill a lot of people to justify his relentless pursuit of it. But then yeah. as as we go throughout the episode, I kind of start agreeing with Kirk and think that he made the right choice to pursue the cloud. But my question is, or to pursue the cloud, but it's, it's very, I keep, I keep using cloud puns. It's very foggy Um, (laughs) because the like extremely crazy parts of this is that round trip, it's going to take a 1.7 days to go to the cloud where the Farragut first encountered it, then come back and drop off the vaccines at Yorktown that's oh basically 48 hours like that's a long time these vaccines could expire it's reckless and none no one likes it kirk is completely ignoring yorktown and starfleet command it's completely unorthodox kirk is like biting at everyone that he sees and he's he's very irritated spock and mccoy accuse him of being unfit for duty and yet at the very end of the episode somehow i'm kind of agreeing with Kirk that this cloud could be a menace and actually like could really harm everybody. The question for you, Rihanna, and I brought up a lot of points, but I'm wondering why didn't Kirk even think to like try diplomacy, like try to talk to the cloud or communicate with it? He's just so clouded by, (laughs) again, the puns, uh, by 
the situation of the Farragut. I think that he's only thinking of revenge. He's not thinking of diplomacy. He's thinking, how quickly can I get rid of this thing that killed so many of my friends and my crewmates and is now trying to harm my current crew and has killed a bunch of red shirts already. I think that it's truly the obsession of this that makes him so desperate to just end it, annihilate this cloud. And he literally says that even if people die, it doesn't matter as long as we kill this cloud. Like, he doesn't care, essentially, if the vaccines, like, don't go to the people who need them. Which, like, we've seen this a few times where vaccines are needed quickly <laughs> and Kirk is caught up in something. It's a really interesting <laughs> plot point that they use. But, yeah, so I also want to bring up just the fact that, like, the way he's treating the crew, you know, is so disrespectful and it's so, like, telling of far gone he is and how he, how much of a, how he's losing a grip on the situation. Like, I really love that Spock goes to McCoy for advice to try to understand Kirk, you know, before just like, okay, we got to declare him unfit, you know. Spock is trying to say, like, I need to understand this human quality of obsession and of, like, fixating on things and McCoy notes it's Jim and his creature you know and I think that it's sort of Jim and his demons essentially it's it's Kirk fighting against more than just the cloud but also this overwhelming guilt he has for what he thinks is the cause of the 11 deaths on the Farragut including the death of his captain and he loved this captain apparently like he had some really cool stories to tell Gorovic at the end like he clearly was this captain is clearly very beloved to Kirk and so that makes it even harder you know that he was to lose him in this way thinking it was his fault even though at the report like people who were who survived the incident said that like oh like cadet kirk or instant kirk or whatever like performed very admirably maybe he was a lieutenant at this point and that he is like you know has the show of great leadership and heroism and all of that so like even reports tell him that it wasn't his fault but he can't believe it you know and yeah this is just something he can't get past and it and it's really affecting his command it's very similar to to tarsus for in the in the way that he's hidden this entire part, portion of his life from his best friends and his crew members and also attempts to solve it on his own. I think when he is fearful that something is his fault or he's really burdened by something in his past, then it's extremely difficult for him to let people in and to let them help him because he feels he has to shoulder that stuff alone. And that's his, to his detriment, absolutely. It's his shame. Like, mm -hmm. no matter how close your friends are, there are just some things in your past you don't want to share. Mm -hmm. And Kirk, it turns out, has ghosts in his closet, just like everybody else does. Skeletons, but yes, also <laughs> ghosts. <laughs> He's got it all. Yeah, um, truly. Yes, Rihanna, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, I definitely agree. McCoy and Spock are absolutely right to bring up that he might not be fit for command. Do you think they should have removed him? I think that nothing would have gotten done if they did. I think that, yes, they would have got the vaccines done, but maybe the cloud would have gone on to murder some more people. I think that, yeah, overall, I agree with you and Kirk. You know, Kirk was so blindsided and so, like, tunnel vision that he didn't even think of, like, is there another way to get these vaccines? Is there another way to have another ship come usually they're the closest ship in the vicinity so that's usually the plot point but i also want to say one more quote that mccoy said he said monsters come in many forms you know the greatest monster of all jim guilt that's great 
Yeah, and it's absolutely like the thesis for this episode. Yes. Thank you, McCoy. As always, he's delivering the human moral <laughs> of <Yes>. the story. <laughs> absolutely. My hero. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about the spooky elements for me because, again, another similarity to Kodos, the whole time they're trying to figure out if the cloud is even sentient or mm-hmm. is even an individual at all, like yeah. any any kind of a live being, or is it just a cloud that's like floating through the air, like like as a re- cloud. as yeah. a reaction to some other thing happening. This is a debate for like 30 minutes of the episode, and it's not until they're being pursued by the cloud. They're going at like warp eight, and Scotty's like, the ship's gonna explode! And Kirk, <laughs> Kirk almost pushes the engines to his limits and almost destroys the crew yeah. because he's so obsessed with this cloud. But he goes down to warp six, and then the cloud slows and stays with them. Um, and then the cloud, uh, it's, then they even like go down to warp two, the cloud turns around and attacks. And that's when Spock is like, ding, ding, this is bad. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's a being. But I love the ongoing mystery of, is this cloud real? Is Kirk sane? And I just think like that dynamic was really what keeps the episode exciting for me. Also, I thought one of the best scenes was during the cloud attack because the tension on the bridge is so palpable. You know, you see them firing all of this, all, all they've got, Captain, at, yeah. at the cloud, no effect. And the music is really good in that scene too. And you just see, like, I think the whole crew is finally realizing, oh, this is why Kirk was so obsessed and freaking out. And this is why. And I just, I love that revelation. So I want to talk too about the scene with Spock and Gorovic, uh, because we have this wonderful moment where Chapel uses some, as she calls it, she applies psychology um, to Gorovic to get him to eat, even though she does this random tape down. She's like, this is orders from your doctor to eat. And it's just like a, a report on something <laughs> random. She's so great in that episode. And I think it helps to sort of rally Gorovic a bit to be like, okay, like I know I'm wallowing, but I, it is my fault, blah, blah, blah. Then Spock comes in and has this really wonderful little pep talk to give to Gorovic. And Spock relays to Gorovic that hesitation is a hereditary trait in humans, you know, when you fear something. And this is, like, so important for horror in general. Like, hesitation is what kills a lot of characters in horror movies. (laughs) Like, it's that paralyzing fear and that, like, overwhelming sense of, like, oh my god, like, you know, people describe it in books, like, they were frozen in place, like, you can't move out of the, like, sheer horror of the situation, and that's what Gorovic was feeling, or just even shock of, like, oh my god, this cloud's coming towards me, and then Spock proceeds to, because the cloud is coming into Gorovic's chamber, or Gorovic's, uh, what's his, what's it called, chamber? Quarters. (laughs) Quarters. Quarters. (laughs) Chamber. Coming to my chamber. (laughs) Um, Have you been watching House of the Dragon? I know you haven't, but... (laughs) But so, <laughs> so um, Gorovic, so the cloud comes into Gorovic's quarters and Spock throws him bodily from the room and locks the door and like uses his hands to try to keep the cloud out. Luckily, the cloud does not like his green blood, uh, not, co- not iron based, it's copper based. So that saves Spock. Uh, I love that Kirk's like, no offense, but why are you alive? <laughs> this is great. Um, And it's what sort of helps them to realize we can kill this. And Kirk also realizes that, like, since this creature is going home, it is looking to spawn by the thousands. And this is, like, where it really becomes sort of a bigger threat to the plot is that, okay, if this spawns by the thousands, like, galaxies are going to die. Yeah. Well, and then in this very final scene, 
Kirk wants to go down on the planet by himself and get rid of the cloud, which of course he does. Classic. And I think the, he goes with Gorovic at least. Well, yeah, after some like thought, he was like, okay, mm-hmm. I guess I need someone else to be there. Oh, it'll be Gorovic. I love the intelligence that Kirk deals with the situation because you think about someone like Khan who's so sent on vengeance that he's willing to like destroy himself in order yeah, and to his crew. <laughs> and his crew to get what he wants. But Kirk has no intention of self-sacrifice and does not want Gorovic to die on the planet and when Gorovic is saying because they're like setting a trap it's not quite working and they're gonna have to beam up like right as the explosion is happening so it's gonna be really risky and Kirk says Gorovic you go back and I'll do it and Gorovic's like fighting he's like no how could you chops Kirk does the chop on himself on Kirk yeah Yeah, knock him out yeah to knock him out to get him to beam up and for so Gorovic can do it himself and Kirk is like dude chill (laughs) I'm not trying to die today and I love that because it shows you that even though Kirk has been seemingly really unbalanced this whole episode in the face of his obsession he's able to remain calm and he's able to get the job done and they beam up and it's all fine Amazing. Way to go, Jim. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I, I love these Jim-centric episodes because it reminds me how much I do like him as a character and how like flawed and how deep he actually goes, which I just I forget about a lot because he's just like Kirk chopping away, you know, yeah, rolling you around. Just, yeah, sometimes I have such a hard time separating Shatner from Kirk that yep. it's nice to see when he, Shatner's really on form <laughs> and doing a great Kirk. Absolutely. Okay, I am hyped. Dagger of the Mind is such a fun episode, and I think it also fits in this theme of what goes around comes around that we were talking about in Conscious of the King. Mm-hmm. Um, so, man, this is a great one. This is early season one, um, or this is in the first half of season one, and the Enterprise is at a um, like mental facility that is led by this director... Dr. Adams. Thank you. Yeah, Dr. Adams. And they are delivering medication to this colony. I think they do call it like a penal colony. Um, Mm. And it's called Tantalus. And the first scene, they, I just, I have to shout out these transporter people because they like don't know what's going on. They're trying to beam down their officers and they can't beam them down. And then Kirk comes in. He's like, what's going on? Um, and then they're like, I don't know, sir. That we can't can't beam them down. And Kirk yeah. just, like, calls the base and is like, hey, can you, like, lower your force field? And they're like, yeah, of course, Captain. And then they do it. Um, and then he's like, man, you better look up your penal colony protocols. And I'm like, how <laughs> yeah. could these people have known that they were going to a penal colony and not, like, thought about extra oh, security have a force field. yeah yeah so anyway <laughs> so just funny. come on guys yeah. um but in the scene uh they beam up a box from the colony and it contains the former director of tantalus van gelder uh, who was assigned there six months ago and he is in a right state <laughs> he yeah. is freaking out tantalus after the intro <laughs> calls them and says oh we are missing um someone on our or we're missing a prisoner yeah, patient. Yeah. yeah, we're missing a, a patient. Um, and Dr. Adams says it in such a weird way to Kirk. He says, oh, I'm terribly sorry about this, Captain. And he's so calm and so cavalier and just very strange. And so right away, I'm getting a weird vibe from Dr. Adams, even though I haven't even seen his face yet. Just the conversation that they're having is strange. And Kirk brings up all this history that 
Adams has revolutionized um, penal colonies and mental health institutions. Um, Bones says a cage is a cage and Kirk is Mm -hmm. like, "Um, Bones, you're so old fashioned. Um, These are like really nice rehab facilities where people can like take care of themselves. And I thought that was a really interesting commentary because mental health facilities, even today with all of the like improved mental health, like uh, verbiage we have these Mm -hmm. days, it's a lot like more open and accepted, but still like mental health care facilities are like a nightmare depending on where you go can be Mm -hmm. actually like very underfunded and terrible. So I thought this was very interesting. It's a great sort of way to set up what we're going into in the story. And I think, too, McCoy has a right to be worried because in in Search for Spock, he's going to be put in this horrible mental facility that is actually a cage in a prison. So, like, he has a right to be fearful of this situation. He's scared for his future. (laughs) Exactly. He's like, I tell you, if I ever get a cotter in my head, I'm not going there. (laughs) You have to drag me kicking and screaming. Yeah. Well, and I think Kirk is really, like, loving psychiatric facilities. He's like, I've been to a few, and they're so revolutionary, and ooh, medications, and ooh, like, new ways of teaching people. But, so it turns out that um, the way that they frame it is that this patient, the old director, uh, what's his name, Van Heller? Van Gelder. Van Gelder was assigned as an assistant, um... And then apparently he was working on an experimental project that drove him mad. That's the story that uh, Dr. Adams gives. And so, you know, it's kind of like, okay, don't question it. He's considered extremely violent, dangerous. Like, they're trying to catch him on the ship. They finally are able to to get Van Geller into the sickbay, strap him down, and start to figure out what is going on with him. But there's some hesitancy to bring him back because of the stuff that he says. He's saying he's very lucid in a lot of moments but it's clear that he's in a lot of pain when he tries to talk about the experiment that he was involved in and so this is where i think this episode succeeds so well in being a spooky like horror type thriller type episode is because anytime you have a psychiatric facility you're already in good shape to be in a horror situation because that's a very classic horror trope secondly like you said, the way that Dr. Adams is speaking is very off-putting, and especially the way that Kirk speaks so highly of him, but hearing how he's speaking and then actually getting to meet him, he's like having a drink with them, he's very casual, he's very calm about all of this, almost to a fault, where you're like, something, you're hiding something, clearly. If you're this calm about an escaped prisoner or escaped patient, if you're this calm about the captain and a science, or and a like psychiatrist touring your facility maybe potentially seeing your actual brainwashing machine like he's really trying to keep everything very calm to not rouse suspicion but that is what rouses the suspicion in the first place yeah well and i love that mccoy right away when he's listening to this discussion on comms he's like that's not right like what he's saying doesn't quite i think he says uh that doesn't quite ring true yeah and to what van geller's story was or to what dr adam's story was yeah. Um, about Ben Gelder. And mm. I love that right away McCoy's like, mm, this is wee wee. This is a weird situation. And Kirk is like, well, what are you telling me? And McCoy's like, I can't put my finger on it, but I just know that something's wrong. And Kirk doesn't really believe him, I don't think, at this no. point. Yeah, he notes it in his mind because he's the captain and he's, he, mm-hmm. you know, trusts McCoy, but he doesn't really take him seriously. I also really, so once they're beaming down, like you said, they're having drinks, it's all charm. I really got 
uh, vibes of the guy in The Shining who is the bartender and who's mm. like walking around with Jack Nicholson and also Jack in the, in the movie <laughs> yeah. um, because he's so charming and so welcoming and like, oh, welcome. It, like, we're going to have a great time today, like mm-hmm. a cruise director, you know, and that's how that's how uh, Dr. Adams is also. The other thing I just want to add to throw into this mix that I absolutely adore is that Dr. Helen Noel accompanies Kirk on this away mission um, to the facility, and she is a specialist um, in psychiatric behavior, and they had a fling at the Christmas party. I just, I love this because so much of Star Trek, like, is not explicit. Like, the original series is not as explicit about Kirk, like, messing around. Like, yeah, they'll show, like, oh, he gets together with a woman and then it pans up to the candle and you can, like, assume or to the light. You assume that, like, they did the deed. But Mm -hmm. Kirk, when they beam on the transporter, she's like, oh, don't you remember me from the Christmas party? He's like, yeah. (laughs) He's like, yeah. Awkward. (laughs) Yeah, I I do remember. And I, I just... I, you know, we just are coming off of this first officer series and it really had me thinking about how some captains and first officers really know every single name of the crew people on board. And, and yet Kirk <laughs> just like forget this woman he had a fling with. Yeah, like, come on. You know, I mean, he, re- he remembers her, but like when McCoy said, I'm going to send a specialist, he doesn't immediately think, oh, Dr. Helen oh, Noel. Helen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know her. So yeah. I, I thought that was an interesting dynamic and also a classic horror trope is to have a woman who's gonna like add some like romantic tension or some type of you know like oh take take the screamy laney into a scary place not that she's screamy she's actually amazing and i love her in this episode she's like such a a great scientist and like a really cool addition yeah yeah although i do have a question about her in general i was kind of off put by the amount of placating she was doing with kirk especially when he sees the the machine that is uh, the brainwasher <laughs> light circle thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and she has really been dismissing it. She says, oh, it looks experimental. Like, she hasn't even seen it in action. I mean, they show, like, some patient is sitting there staring into it, and the guy has it on, like, the lowest setting. But they, of course, don't see when the guy later is like, you will be calm and great and you will not and if you ever try to talk about this you'll feel immense pain (laughs) and it's like oh geez okay something horrible is going on but um helen is so quick to dismiss kirk's uh suspicions about the machine and about this experimental device saying oh it looks sound this this is a pretty normal procedure hypnosis is a great way to like calm overactive or overly violent patients I just think that, like, as a psychiatrist, don't be so quick to just, like, look at a machine that is being used on people's brains to just be like, okay, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, I was wondering why she was acting this way. I um, I kind of think that because she's a, a psychiatrist, that's her weakness because Dr. Adams is so renowned in this field. It would mm-hmm. be like for me as an opera singer meeting, like, Placido Domingo and saying, oh my god, this is like the most amazing singer of all time, and yet he has like <laughs> over 10 cases of like sexual assault allegations on him, you know, and it's like, yeah. do you ignore that when you meet him, you know, and you think, oh, it's just, I mean, not that Adams does, this is not quite a fair example, but when you see these behaviors start to show themselves, like that Dr. Adams is clearly doing something suspicious, it's easy to, to, to dismiss because of all of the amazing work that he's done. So it's Very like, well, point. like, why, like, if, and 
I, it's a great point that you bring up, though, because even when Kirk is kind of like wanting to peek in on the device, she's like, Captain, if he doesn't want to show it, like, let him like, not show it, you know, like, like, mind your business. Yeah. And then, you know, Dr. Adams is like, of course, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I, for me, I think she's just blinded by him. And also, it, like being in the presence of someone like that can be kind of intoxicating too. You're like, oh, yeah. whoa, like this Famous is uh, like person in my field. this yeah. guy wrote all of the books that I studied at Starfleet, you know? Very, very good point. She even goes as far to assure Kirk that it's not the Chamber of Horrors that McCoy is insinuating that it is, but that there is something going on, you know, like she can agree to that. And so I think that this is sort of then the turning point when when we see, of course, Spock and McCoy trying to help uh, Ben Gelder and understand what's going on and how he became in this state. And Spock does his mind meld, which is like, the first mind meld. The first. Yeah. So uh, some dubious kind of stuff going on there. He didn't want to do the mind meld, but McCoy is kind of like, hey, come on, just do it. <laughs> It'll be good. <laughs> um, and it, it has does never been done on humans. Is that crazy? Yeah, it's very sacred thing. And, and of course, I love that Spock then after that is just open the floodgates and he does it on anyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, I'm thinking about Sarek mind melding with Michael, but it's fine. Just ignore it. Uh, that's fine. Spock yeah. had to, <laughs> he couldn't talk about Michael, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't count. Um, yeah, so I think that this is, like, this is such a cool part of the episode because we're getting more information as an audience than Kirk and Helen are getting, and it's really sort of fun to see them figure it out at different times and see Kirk and McCoy, or I mean, see Spock and McCoy figure it out earlier, um, but they're then unable to reach them at some point, and then that's when Kirk and Helen go into the chamber itself, to the experimental thing, and Helen tries it out on Kirk just to see, like, which, again don't try out experimental things on your captain is my thought. Not a good idea. Here's the thing, Rihanna, Kirk goes in himself. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Okay. This was another thing I thought was classic scary movie is Mm -hmm. you have someone going into the haunted house and you're yelling (laughs) at the screen. Don't go in there. Like, what are you doing? You're gonna (laughs) die. And same thing, like Kirk's getting into the chair and I'm like, you idiot. Like, even if he thinks, oh, just a little test as a treat, you know, it's yeah. going to be totally fine. Tell me something very, like, harmless. And she's like, you're hungry. And he's like, man, let's go, like, raid the kitchen after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then she starts to insinuate, like, okay, like, more happened at the party. Like, you swept me off my feet. We had a romantic evening, blah, blah, blah. When really it was probably just, like, a quickie. <laughs> like in the, yeah, she's saying what know? she wishes would have happened mm-hmm. in the, like, fake memory she's saying oh like it wouldn't be good for my position to do this like and I'm like you guys just banged and now you're feeling regret (laughs) yeah yep exactly yeah so that was really interesting and then we have Dr. Adams come in take Helen like grab her and start to uh, manipulate Kirk into thinking he's been in love with Helen for all this time and that like he will devote his entire being to her and he's essentially being brainwashed and what we learn about this machine is that it completely empties your brain where you are irrevocably alone inside your own mind and so when someone is like enticing you to do something or brainwashing you 
you're so, so desperate to have something else in your mind besides that empty void that you will cling to that and be like, yes, absolutely. And we see that the patients are extremely docile. They're very, seemingly very happy and thriving. And that's but what Kurt- blank, like blank, not, yeah. not a thought behind those eyes. Just Dr. Adams' thoughts and, mm. and actions. And this is another power play. I think this is Dr. Adams' entirely huge, massive power trip. You know, it's his way to control people who are sick and control their actions and their movements and every single thing about them. And so I got to just hand it to um, Paraglider. What's his name? Every time. Van Gelder? Van Gelder. Paraglider. You've been playing too much Breath of the Wild. (laughs) Yes. Van Gelder. I just got to applaud for getting like detaching himself enough from the brainwashing to be able to uh like stow away in the cargo to beam up to the enterprise like that was really brave and probably extremely painful and difficult for him to do because we learned that you feel extreme pain if you like try to think or resist from dr adams yeah and mccoy had to give him three doses of tranquilizer in order to calm him down so he was like in extreme pain freaking Mm -hmm. out for mccoy even to get him to somewhat of a baseline yeah. Yeah. I think that his training as a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist like helped him to kind of sort through this to push through. But I agree with you. Totally amazing. Uh, I, for me, like obviously the turning point of the like fear really started when Kirk was in the neuralizer. But mm-hmm. especially like you're talking about when Adams takes over because his voice is still like sickly sweet odor like honey Um, he's just like captain kirk like just like a radio talk show host he's so Mm. like charming and it's creepy it's terrible like seeing what he's doing to kirk and totally changing him the thing that makes me laugh is and and reminds me that kirk is the protagonist because kirk is easily able to throw this off once he's out of the neuralizer um i think Dr. Adams's intention is to keep him there and like keep treating him until he goes insane um, or just to like capture him and And to silence him, I think, too. Oh, for sure, because he's seen too much um, Mm -hmm. and then try to get the Enterprise away somehow. Discredit him. Yeah. There's a couple of instances where Kirk is fighting it off, um, like when he first wakes up after the first treatment and then he goes in for the second treatment and he's actively fighting like. He's yeah. like, put your communicator away. And Kirk actually is able to open it and say, Kirk to Enterprise. And then he like passes yeah. out. This was really reminding me of the Imperious Curse in Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, which like happens in the fourth book. We get to see um, Professor Moody, imposter, Professor Moody perform a mm-hmm. bunch of Imperial curses highly illegally on illegally, these yeah. freaking fourth years, um, these 14 year olds. Yeah. And uh, Harry's the only one to resist them because he's a really strong will. And Kirk is someone who is a similar type of character. Yes, they're both main characters. Um, plot armor strong with this strong one. Strong <laughs> plot armor. Yeah. But I do, I, I, I really did think about that, that people with really strong wills are able to resist for a little bit. And then then they collapse but <laughs> yeah I mean they he even said that like you're doing better than Van Geller like he was sobbing on the floor at this point you know and yeah. um he, Dr. Adams calls Helen and Kirk a couple of excellent specimens you know so we really get this like creepy horror doctor vibe like psychological like ooh, I'm your like I'm your therapist but I'm actually like your captor <laughs> you know and so because then finally everything comes to a head when Dr. Adams is then put in front of the neuralizer and left without any commands. And uh, Kirk describes it as 
quote, without even a tormentor for company, you know? And so that was the whole thing about the dagger of the mind, the dagger torture thingy, is that it's like you, you, you crave even a tormentor because it's someone else. And so everyone is questioning, like, how could you die of loneliness? Because Dr. Adams dies from this. Kirk knows. He's like, once you've been in that machine, like, he's like, easily... So that's freaky. Like that is a really creepy ending and kind of the ending I was talking about that I love in horror is where it's really kind of unresolved and you're just sort of left thinking like, ooh, that guy died of sheer loneliness and Kirk knows exactly the feeling. Yeah. Well, and again, this is the case of someone doing it to themselves because Dr. Adams did not have to do this to Kirk. He did not have to like... He could have gotten him out of the neuralizer and said, why are you messing around with my my stuff? You know, he made that choice to make it worse and to try to brainwash him because he felt like he had this power and he thought he was in control of the situation. And then just like that, all it takes is for him suddenly to fall down while it's on. Or no, he he fell down and there's a, a whole like powers going on and off. We get a great scene of Dr. Noel um, crawling through the vents. She goes Mm -hmm. and she turns off the power. Spock beams down. I just love that because, again, I feel like it's classic trope um, where we see someone who, like, could be perceived as vulnerable. Like, Mm -hmm. she's in this, like, really tight, like, short dress. You know, a lot of, like, feminine characters are perceived as being, like, easy to stab. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Or, like, she, easy victims. Easy yeah. victims, yeah. And so we're seeing her crawl through the vents, and, you know, it's very stressful. Like, how is she going to survive this altercation she has with one of the guards? And it, she turns off the power, and then, meanwhile, Kirk is, like, fighting it out with Dr. Adams. He goes to the ground. Then Spock turns the power back on. And so that's why he's, like, dies of loneliness, because he's just mm-hmm. been, like, looking at the dagger of the mind for, like, however long. But... If Dr. Adams had just left well enough alone, he wouldn't have done this. Like, he sealed his fate by... Nobody would have been the wiser. Like, this thing would have kept going on for how who knows how long. Yeah, exactly. And what you were saying about the ending being so important is totally right. It's deeply unsettling. (laughs) Absolutely. Great, great episode. And I'm so glad we discussed it because there's something about the sort of psychological cases, you know, that are really intriguing in a horror setting. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, let's go on to a little bit of a lighter episode, but a fan favorite. Rihanna's lifting her arms in celebration. (laughs) This is Return of the Archons. This is, shall we say, the original Purge movie? (laughs) I was literally thinking this every time I watched this episode. This is actually kind of a comfort episode for me. I would watch it on sick days from school. Like, I just absolutely love it. I love the Sulu smile. I love their outfits. I love the Archons. I love the guy who's like, you'd go into the red hour. Like, everything <laughs> about it, the ambiance, just, it's just delightful because it is classic scary movie stuff. Like, this is like the most classic kind of trope of scariness that we could get in a Star Trek episode. You're right, OG Purge. I bet the Purge people watched Return of the Archons and said, we'll do red hour, but like, we'll do it in America. <laughs> <laughs> And not on the not on this random planet. That's such a yeah, weird like, choice. <laughs> strange. Yeah. 
So in, in this first minute, you know, you talked about Sulu <laughs> getting <laughs> zapped by Landry's followers. I love this opener so much because it is scary. It yes. drops you right in the action where Sulu and Random Red Shirt are mm-hmm. running around and you can tell they're being pursued by these, they look like dementors, like like people in robes, like long brown robes. You can't see their faces. It's, it's like ring wraiths almost, like a very yeah. t- tacky version of the ring wraiths. <laughs> um, <laughs> And the thing I love and we haven't talked about yet is the slow, menacing walk towards the victim. This is something, to me, that is almost more scary than being chased by a knife in in scary movies. Um, I'm really reminded of a very terrifying X-Files episode I don't even want to, like, bring up because it's very scary. Ah! Like, there's so many moments like that. And even Terminator has great moments like that, too. Mm Um, just like the slow walk and no matter where you run Halloween. Yeah. You know that that person is following you and there's nothing you can do to evade them. I think it's like the confidence that they have. Like they're walking as slow as ever. It's a zombie thing too, you know, but it's like, it's, you know that they're going to catch you because they're confident that they will. And like that, especially when it's a mass thing, like when there's a mass of people just like slowly walking towards you, that's terrifying. Oh yeah. It reminds me too of these like very scary classic Zelda enemies where they uh, like scream and they start like, they're walking towards you very slowly. And then without warning, they just grab you and like take half of your health. It's so scary. I, I can't remember what they're called, but Those are, like, probably the scariest type of enemies to me in movies or video games or anything. So Mm -hmm. having Return of the Archons start like that is great. Also, because Sulu's having this battle with the red shirt, and Sulu's like, they're going to beam us up. Don't worry, bro. Don't run away, because they're going to beam us up. I trust them. And the red shirt's like, bye. And then in that moment, Sulu became the red shirt, because he got zapped by the guy, by the dude. Yeah, so he got zapped. He becomes a uh, subject of Landru, essentially. He's he is of happy. the body. Yeah. yeah, he's of the body. Um, and we learned that uh, the Enterprise has has uh, returned to the Archons. <laughs> no, the Enterprise has come to this planet because Landru pulled the Archons from the skies years ago. And they want to know, like, what entity pulled pulled this ship from the skies, the Archons, and, like, what happened to them? So they're, it's pretty much just an investigative uh, thing. But pretty much, so then, you know, Sulu comes back really acting strange. And so they know something went down. And so then they have to do their own little undercover ops since Sulu and the red shirts failed. And um, they get to wear these fantastic outfits. Um, and turns out they have arrived right before the red hour, which is essentially, like we said, the purge. where The festival. To, the festival, yes. Uh, where you get to, like, just absolutely for 24 hours, just, like, wreck everything do whatever you want to anyone looks like people died or like i don't know if it was 24 hours i thought it was just all night like a 12 hour maybe all night yeah because they said like one of you're gonna need a place to sleep off the festival (laughs) i'm like yeah after rampaging for that long um which is such a fun and interesting element to bring our crew into because of course they're like trying to act like they're coming into town from the valley for the festival um but they clearly know nothing about it they're not participating in it it makes the other suspicious except for rager who rager he is really cool he uh, he and one of his friends are totally cool with them skipping the festival but this other guy is like i'm gonna tell i'm gonna tell the archons i'm gonna tell landrew like this is bad you are not of the body like he kind of figures out that these people that that the enterprise crew is not who they say they are and 
uh, Kirk and company are really dropped into a situation they're not equipped for. Yes, and what it's so interesting about these people who are like sort of resisting Landrew, um, in listening to this conversation where they're trying to figure out, oh, are they from the valley? Like maybe they have different customs. Why aren't they participating in the festival? A line gets dropped um, by Rager, which is an amazing name. I wish my name was Rager. Um, I think it's R-E-G-E-R though, but Ra- still. Rager. Rager. Still, yeah. it's close to Rager. <laughs> yeah. um, one of them drops a line that says, they are not yet old enough to be out of the body of Landrew. And so that makes me think that these three older dudes survived every year of the festival and that's why like there's an age limit where you don't have to be like of the body and participate in the festival anymore because you're too old Mm -hmm. but there's like only three of them like like and so I kind of think that most people die in the festival um and if you survive I assume it's every year Mm -hmm. um if you survive like that's kind of amazing and your reward is like not to be under control of Landrew I think they are still, no, I think they're still of the body, but they don't have to participate. Oh, like they don't have to do. thinks they're of the body, at least. Still, it's amazing that they're alive. Yeah, they've um, been putting on this act for years. Like, the Rager's triad is the underground in threes, which Kira would be very proud. Like, keep your underground uh, ops small <laughs> so you can't destroy a whole network. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, you mentioned the outfits, and I do have to comment that Spock looks unbelievable. So dapper. So gorgeous. <laughs> oh. What a he, well, everyone else is wearing, like, three-piece suits and, um, what are those, uh, like, like ascots? The, yeah, ascots, like, floppy bow tie strings. Yeah. And then Spock is, like, full black hood, and, Ooh. like, he has, like, a kind of a cape on, and I just... So hot. I... I am obsessed with him. Same. 100% I want, obsessed. I want that look so bad. <laughs> I think, like, Halloween's common, Rihanna, literally. Yeah. Like, maybe I'll just be Archon Spock. So, seeing the festival is funny and scary. I think if I had seen this when I was, like, even younger than middle school, I might have been freaked out by this episode. But seeing it today, the festival is so funny because we have shows yeah. like Game of Thrones and Attack on right. Titan that are so violent and, like, they show, like, someone getting Everything. their head cut off or, like, yeah. a bone breaking in half. Yeah. And so Star Trek is just, like, <laughs> a woman runs up to a man and the man's, like, biting her neck, but you don't really see it happening. Yeah. Um, my favorite moment of the festival was when there's this man, he runs into the middle of the square, and he goes, festival, festival, festival! <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's me during festival. That is me. <laughs> I'm the festival guy <laughs> i just yeah they're breaking windows setting things on fire it's just the whole nine yards yeah like they're raging they're stealing they're looting i thought it was interesting the rhetoric that the archon minions use when they're trying to capture someone because eventually kirk and spock and mccoy and the other red shirts with them get taken to a cellar where they're going to be turned into the body of landrew um mm. and they're like <laughs> they're super cute just like hanging out in this dungeon but yeah. the, um, like, Landrew takes over these bodies in the cloaks and says, um, you will be absorbed. And mm-hmm. it's basically the exact same rhetoric that the Borg use. Oh, yeah. It's like slow Borgification. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, you will become one of the body. We will all be united together. And I just think it's interesting that it's completely different parts of the universe. This is obviously the Alpha Quadrant. We have not seen hair nor tail of the Borg. Right. <laughs> yeah there's that's the saying like no mention of the borg of course in the 2260s um but yet there are still there's still technology that is 
trying to do that as its goal. So I, I thought that was interesting. It's so cool. Well, uh, cool in a bad way, obviously, but like cool for a storyline. I love too. They're talking about how they essentially eliminated all of the ancient evils, is how Landrew describes it. Like this is a peaceful society, uh, but the the price of peace is no individuality. It's essentially, uh, as Spock describes it, a soulless society, a whole society built off of oppression, fear, and control. I mean, again, we're talking about a being who craves power and craves to control the people and the subjects that are he thinks are his and this is so 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 common in leaders and in governments and it's very much a story on earth you know shades of old earth as pike would say this is really um stuff that like literally so many of the men are controlling like muslim women in the way that they can can or cannot cover their hair or uh, there's so many circumstances in our world where we're seeing big powerful corporations seeking to control a society by using fear and oppression and so this is such a common storyline but it's so well done because it's through literal brainwashing and it's through the idea of peace and and that's how they sort of that's how lander is able to sort of sell it to everyone is saying like i am bringing a peaceful society like there is no crime or no murder except in red hour <laughs> um, you know that's their one time a year to go crazy but the rest of the time it's all peace and tranquility and i just think that this is so so harmful like this entire idea of controlling somebody under the guise of peace is never peace for real okay rihanna go off go off yeah. thank you <laughs> yeah. yeah well and you're saying all of this and relating it to humans and our society and yet this is a computer that's yeah. oppressing them in this way and so this is why things have gone so wrong like this computer it has human tendencies which, which is probably what is the problem built, yeah built this computer so i mean like, landrew yeah. who built landrew humans probably or like humanoids landrew built landrew <laughs> <laughs> um the archons yeah I, I want to talk, there's some really interesting quotes in this that I think we need to unpack. Great. Um, first of all, Landrew talks of ending a war, so he brought the Archons down. The Archons, it sounds like before, when Landrew's time, it was pretty much like technology out the wazoo, like probably pretty modern day, what we're experiencing right now. And so then Landrew said that he, quote, went back to simpler times. So this is also a rhetoric that like Trump has used before, you know, like, make America great again to kind of like let's go back to how it was because that is easier and that is what we know and that is what how I can control you better it's very nostalgic it's like times were so simple we didn't have all these problems we have today it's like actually we they were wrong. worse so wrong times, yeah times <laughs> Could not <be> more wrong. <laughs> <laughs> times 10 the problems that we have today but this is another like just Landrew's just full of very dangerous rhetoric you know by saying like oh I took these people back to simpler times no you took them to oppression you took them to a society where they can't be individuals they don't have means of being creative that's why i love when lower decks goes back to this planet you know mariner and boimler are handing out crayons and paints and th saying like be individuals celebrate your creativity like don't worship a computer <laughs> you know like this is the thing that this uh society is lacking as spock mentions Yes, thank you for bringing that up. I can't believe they went back to worshiping Landrew. Like, come mm. on, guys. But also, come but on, Starfleet. Yeah. Like, this is the thing that's so damaging about a society that only knows oppression and fear is that it's what you know. And so, in a way, it's kind of safer than 
trying to be something new and trying to break out into a whole new way of living. I mean, we see at the end of this episode that they're able to send down like a sociologist and some people to stay to help them rebuild, but they probably don't stay for that long. And even so, Lower Decks takes place... Oh my god, like 180 like or yeah, 100. Like, yeah, yeah, the next century. Yeah, so obviously there's going to be change in that time, but it's sad that it was a backslide change. And But it also makes kind of sense when it's sort of what you've been doing for a thousand years versus a hundred. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so real quick, I want to touch on this. Since we're talking about their society, what do you think about Kirk's argument about the Prime Directive? Because he says that the Prime Directive refers to a living, growing culture but there's no growing and there's no progress in this culture. But I, the only caveat I would bring up is this little resistance cell that they have because mm-hmm. they are trying to progress. And I, I wonder if, if left naturally to their own devices, they would have been able to um, like fight off Landrew eventually. I, I'm doubtful, yeah. but I don't know. I'm doubtful too because of the way I see Rager's, Rager's triad act or at least now they're down to a duo uh because the third member of their triad died uh the way they act when kirk asked them to lead them to landrew they completely fall apart true like, this is not akira <laughs> narice shacks you know like building a resistance cell and going to like death in order to make it happen these people are so so entrenched in this fear culture especially the ones who are not of the body but have to pretend every single day to their family to their friends to their community that they're with the body, that's just got to be emotionally and physically exhausting. That, like, when they're, like, when Kirk's, like, take me to your leader, (laughs) they're, like, no, we quit. Like, you do this, we're done. So I think it probably wouldn't have happened. And, to be frank, the Prime Directive is already broken because it's run by a freaking computer, you know? Like, clearly there's, like, otherworldly stuff. The Archons were pulled from space, so, like, there already is a lot of, like, spacefaring interaction, technological interaction, so I think it's kind of already broken by Landrew himself. Great point. know it. Great point. And it's not thriving, exactly. Like, the other thing, I have a huge, huge issue with this quote that Kirk says. He says, freedom is never a gift, it has to be earned. Hmm. What do you think about this? Huh. Um, that's a can of worms. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I kind of agree with it because, unfortunately, the tendency of society and the way that our like social groups are constructed is that there's a hierarchy that wants to control everyone. In this case, like, even in our time, it's like the government is mm-hmm. trying to keep people from killing each other, which they're not doing a good job. Um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, but they're, yeah, you know, um, they're trying to, like, organize things. That's why we have stoplights and, like, dumb mm-hmm. things to make us function so we can mm-hmm. all, um, like, get along cordially with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and... In, in most cases, it goes wrong, you know, um, yeah. and throughout history, it does not go well for the population of the people who are under the command. Um, and so I think Kirk is taking it from a really negative perspective where he's thinking humans tend to put themselves in situations where they are captured or where they are having their freedoms being restricted from them. And so you have to fight and you have to vote. <laughs> Everyone, please register vote. to vote. vote. Um, it, midterms are coming, and it's vote. very important. Uh, <laughs> please. <Vote. laughs> um, like, seriously, please. Um, yeah, go register right now in your state. So I actually, I kind of agree. I'm really curious what your 
opinion is because you were like, this quote is crazy. So please like, tell me what you think. I think I really, really agree with what you're saying. And I agree with Kirk's perspective. I think the fact that he's saying it to these brainwashed citizens who have lived in a culture of fear and oppression for so long to think that they are not deserving or allowed the gift of freedom is kind of uh, like I know he's right yes these these people don't have freedom they're not given that gift they have to fight for it and that's what he's saying but like as an overall statement it's so problematic because freedom is absolutely something that should not have to be earned freedom should be inherent in people and should be inherent for the individual but there are so many systems in every single world that we see in every single Star Trek episode that seek to oppress or to deny certain people's freedoms. And so I just think freedom is the gift that you fight for. It's so tricky though, because like this is such a, like this complex Landry situation really does speak to that they do have to earn their freedom, but it's kind of like blaming the victims for being oppressed a bit is how I felt like Kirk mm, was saying it. I, I felt like he was saying, you didn't get this gift because Landrew controls you. You have to be brave and fight for it. When these people are cowering in fear and have and have no wherewithal left to fight. I mean, God, these old men in the triad, they're probably like 70, 80. I don't know. Like, I can't tell ages. They look honest. great. I think they they're amazing. like 50. <laughs> Maybe. I literally could not tell ages. Like a kid could be 12 or five and I can't tell the difference. So. Wow, Rihanna. <laughs> don't, don't, uh, don't ask me about ages, A kid could but... be in kindergarten. A kid could be in middle school. Same thing. You never yeah, I don't know. know. <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? Um, but like, either way, I think that it's just like... If you're telling these men that, then they're not going to, like, if they're not, if they're too tired to fight, then they're going to think, oh, freedom is not something that that can be given to me. Uh, it's inspiring, but it's also a little victim blaming is all I'm saying. I, I do see your perspective on that. I think that you're right. These are people who have never, like, they've had one thought about resistance and yeah. they have this, like, little triad going on, but if this has happened before in the history of Landrew, it's never succeeded. And it, it it's not likely that anyone who resists has survived, you know? Yeah. I mean, the red shirt was so pissed at, uh, at Rager for, or Rager or whatever, for uh, sending his daughter out into the red hour. And she was completely traumatized and like sobbing afterwards. And he just looked so defeated. He's like, what am I supposed to do? Make her stay and then have both of us get killed? You know, like he, you can't, in that kind of thing, you can't resist and you can't fight for your freedom when it could get your loved ones killed, you know? And so it's just, it's so complex, the situation. And it, what, I just think it's so beautifully done, though. This episode is just masterful, in my opinion. Like, the, the like, social stuff they bring up, but also just the, like, spooky elements of it. The fact that there's an entire civilization who is controlled by this computer. And there's also this um, overarching themes of surveillance, which I find really interesting. I'm thinking a lot about 1984 when I'm seeing this, um, because, like they say like Landrew is always watching. That's like sort of what everyone will say to Kirk and company is that Landrew will hear you, Landrew is watching and probably not. Like the computer probably has limits to what he can surveil. He uses the archons to surveil, you know, to an extent, but like Landrew doesn't hear every single like word against him, but that's the rhetoric he uses in order to make people feel like they're constantly being watched. It's a brilliant way to control people by thinking you're always being watched. I love that, Rihanna. You're so true. It's, yeah, 1984, absolutely. 
the idea, like you said, of everyone being controlled is especially apparent when it's kind of the climax of the episode and you have the whole town walking towards them. Mm-hmm. And again, it's that slow walk, like, oh, yeah. here she comes. <laughs> Watch out, boy. They'll zap you up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that creeps me out. And then also just the reveal of Landrew. Every mm-hmm. time we've seen him, he's been a recording. So as yeah. Star Trek lovers and people who are not living in the 1800s like all the other <laughs> people are on this planet, you know this is probably some sort of technology. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Kirk blasts open the door, he's like, ah, of course, it was a computer. <laughs> yeah, computer all along. That's a surprise. <laughs> There's so many episodes coming up where a computer is the main villain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, just in the series, I don't think mm-hmm. in our list. I think it's great, and even though they do leave the experts behind, that that really gave me hope in, until Same. I was thinking about this Lower Decks <laughs> episode. Lower Decks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does Mariner say? Like, Starfleet's great at exploring, but bad at maintaining. Yes, which is true. Dropping facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and one more thing I do want to say is the computer, that it was a computer all along trope, is a great, great way to set up a good horror or spooky setting, you know, because... We always assume that the, the evils are from humans or from a, a like entity that we know. But half the time, at least in Star Trek, and especially in TOS, it's a computer, you know? And that makes it even, has a like fun little layer that is just so Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's continue our brainwashing moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's focus on Lights of Zetar. So I want to talk about Lieutenant Mira Romaine. She yeah. is the featured extra of the week <laughs> that... <laughs> We uh, have in our spooky series right away. I'm like, this is a very attractive lady. And yes. Yes. Like, nice. <laughs> nice work, lady. <laughs> I have to do a very brief five-minute um, callback to the Love and Affection series, and I have to slap us both for not including yeah. this episode. <laughs> yeah. Because I always just assume Scotty's, like, completely ace and, like, not interested in anyone except the Enterprise. Okay. And then we have this love and affection episode. Let, let me read to you what yeah. Kirk says. I Please. I just was in awe of, of, these, of the first five minutes of this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, we see Scotty. He's, like, flirting. And he's being so cute. And we, mm-hmm. we don't – there's, like, not a lot of episodes. And we're going to talk about another one. But we mm-hmm. don't get to see James Doohan, like, do a lot of stuff outside of engineering. Totally. And so it's wonderful to see him act um, in this scene. <laughs> he, she's like, what are you thinking about? And he's like, I'm thinking about like how beautiful you are and how smart you are. And he's like, and the rest I better keep to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so like, first of all, <laughs> like, that's hilarious. What a gentleman. Like, thank so you, good. Scotty, for, for, yeah. <laughs> for stopping your thoughts. Um, and then Kirk, in his captain's log, which I know, I know it's addressed to us, but in his captain's log, his official report, he says... When a man of Scotty's age falls in love, his loneliness is revealed to him. His heart once throbbed only to the ship's engines. He would talk only to the ship. Now he sees nothing but the woman. (laughs) (laughs) This is another part of my thesis of, like, asexual Scotty. Like, literally, he would only talk to the ship. (laughs) I love this man. What a legend. Scotty, he's too genius to be tied down by, like, physical attractions. Corporeal yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I got work to do. 
Literally, I also want to note that Scotty, in complimenting Mira, also calls her the sanest woman he's ever met, which yeah. I think is a hilarious compliment. And also a little bit sexist, because, like, all women are also constantly viewed as, like, uh, irrational or crazy if they're emotional or if they have any sort of feeling at all. So I was like, whoa, the sanest woman. Wow, what a compliment. Yeah, I thought that was a little, like, off in the list. <laughs> that yeah. he was like, hmm, that was kind of weird. Hmm. Um, and then, so after Kirk says that on the bridge, um, yeah, he's making his captain's log, like, on the bridge in front of I everyone. Imagine <laughs> check off just, like, laughing to each other. They're like, wow, what a weird captain's log. <laughs> yeah, well, and then right after that, Chekhov says, I never thought he would go for the brainy type. And Sulu says, I don't think he's thinking about her brain. <laughs> oh! <laughs> like, oh, oh! 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 They're just like, they have, they have really got these birds down. <laughs> I mean, this is year three of them all being together. They're just like, mm-hmm. oh, geez, Scotty's like going for it right now. And it's kind yeah. of like the talk of the ship. Everyone knows Scotty's flirting with this lady, and she's flirting right back. She's enjoying it. Yeah. I thought... Yeah, I like that it's mutual. That's good. I will admit that this is the a little bit less of a spooky episode compared to the, yeah. some of the other ones. Um, but uh, later on, we'll just, like, dive into the plot. There's some lights on the screen. Um <laughs> glorious 60s lights they're the lights um the the zetar of zetar yeah they're on their way to memory alpha which is a real thing it's not just the place where you get all of your star trek information online um this is the star trek library i kind of think of it as like the library of alexandria for yeah literally for like not only starfleet but like everything yeah Yeah. and like idiots they didn't build shields on their on their defense system like are you serious and they never resolved this. This is my biggest qualm with this episode, is we never know if they got the memory core back because the Zetar lights completely destroy the memory core. It's burnt out. Spock is, like, devastated. <laughs> <laughs> He's, like, all of that knowledge. <laughs> like, same. But also, at the same time, mainly everyone has died who was on memory alpha. No shields. The only reason that the Enterprise survived, or the crew of the Enterprise survived, is because they had shields. Except the lights went into Mira's eyes and they sparkled and she saw the light. <laughs> I It is creepy. Like, the creepiness really starts for me when Mira, Mira gets hit and that's not good. She goes down and Scotty's like, lassie. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's even creepier when they go on to the Memory Alpha, like, area and that lady, like, oh. she's, like, barely alive and you can see the lights of Zetar, like, in her face and her mouth is, like, creepily distorted. Well, and Mira had the same noises where she's yeah. like, oh. And you're like, oh my god. Yeah, creepy, garbled noises for sure. Really creepy. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like it at all. They did well with this. Like, I think it, it was something new we have never even seen before, which by season three of Trek is kind of difficult because uh, they were running out of ideas. And uh, Ashlyn was sort of noting to me in a text, like, this. some of these episodes really got the season three disease. <laughs> so uh, parts of this episode we don't really even need to discuss because it's just season three yeah yes <laughs> yeah just it struggles the writers forget what they were writing about sometimes <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but the horror elements in this are really good there's enough uh, questions you know of there we don't get a lot of information and i think that that's another thing that creates a good thrilling atmosphere is like just lack of knowledge this is an it's a, another episode similar to obsession mm-hmm. where we don't quite know what's going on if the lights are 
a species or yeah. like what's happening with them. Um, throughout the episode, it actually kind of reminds me of Gary Mitchell also when he's mm-hmm. taken over by the power because she has this foreknowledge that the when Gary Mitchell's taken over by the power. Yeah, in Where No Man's Gone oh, Before. Oh, I was thinking about Gary Seven. Sorry. I was oh my God, Gary. Gary Seven. Yeah, when <laughs> the Gary. Other Gary. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you. not Assignment Earth, um, yeah. but the pilot. Um, mm-hmm. Because she's having these premonitions that the Zatarians are going to attack. No one listens to her, not even Spock. This is, Ugh. yeah, like no my one. My biggest pet peeve. They're not listening to the women. Please listen to the women. Um, <sighs> Everything would be solved so much quicker if you listen to women. I think they could have shaved 20 minutes off this episode if they had just listened to Easy. Mira the entire yeah. time. Because mm-hmm. um, she predicts every single time the Zatarians are about to attack. And the other weird thing is that she goes to Scotty because she's having all this like weird stuff going on in her brain. And she's like, should I report it to McCoy? And <laughs> Scotty's like, no, like what's it's he like? Space sickness. Yeah, it's space sickness. <laughs> like he doesn't know how to treat you. So it's a waste of time. I was like, this is terrible advice. <laughs> like, like don't tell people not to go to their doctor. Oh my Come God, on. bro. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I think Scotty, I, I adore Scotty. So I'm not going to bash him too hard, but I will bash the writing of Scotty. Yeah. Um, what? What Excuse now? Me. Yeah. yeah, that <laughs> yeah. was that was weird. Um, mm-hmm. but it turns out, uh, they, these aliens. Eventually, it's revealed that the Zatarians are have been searching for a body their whole life, their whole time they've been um in existence, which is a long time, and because they're trying to like have a corporeal form, it's kind of like any other episode of the original series. Yeah. Um, and the part I thought was really creepy, though, was when they're trying to remove the Zatarians from Mira's body. They mm-hmm. put her in this chamber, and you just see her body, like, floating. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really creepy. And the suspense is, like... Because also, she's a disposable character. She's the red shirt of the mm-hmm. week. Like, she could actually die. And, like, there's actually stakes for her, you know? Yeah. Um, so I really like seeing her in the chamber and, like, rotating and being creepy. And the Zatarians are talking and... Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. I thought, too, her acting, like, um, obviously, I think someone else was doing the voice acting of her when she, when the Zatarians were speaking through her, but the way her eyes went so vacant when it was the Zatarians speaking versus Mira fighting back. That's amazing. Um, yeah. was really, really cool. Like, what a complex kind of acting to do just with your eyes, you know? And her whole posture was slumped. She was, like, barely in control of her body, you know? So that was, that was just really interesting. Um, also not spooky, but just amazing that Chapel does a Scottish accent in this episode and you have to go listen to it. It is glorious. Yes, totally agree. Um, also just saying that's mm-hmm. Jan Shutan is the actress of, um, of Mira. So shout it out. Amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. And then Major Barrett, of course, being amazing for the yeah. Scottish accent. I thought Chapel has some really great one-liners in all these spooky episodes. She does. She's yeah. not really featured, but she just kind of pops in every once in a while and she's like, <laughs> and like awesome. Hey. And then leaves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, the only other thing I want to say about this is that they keep, disc- McCoy particularly describes Mira Romaine as pliant. And how that is the reason the Zatarians were able to enter her body without killing her is because she was less, like, resistant to it. And I just, like, want to bring up that that's, like, a pretty dicey thing to talk about for women, being pliant and being, like, what's the other word? Um, Submissive? Submissive, yeah. I think that it's fine to have that personality trait, but 
it's just was weird the way that McCoy kept bringing it up ad nauseum. Like, Hashtag oh, well, not all women, McCoy. Yeah, exactly. Come on, like, calm down. But apparently her pliantness saved her life as well. But also she had the strong enough will to stop them. So I'm like, she wasn't pliant then. If she was able to fight them back and keep her individuality that entire time, that woman ain't pliant. Yeah, maybe she's just, like, incredibly accepting. Yeah. Come on. Like, There's, that's just a very different like word. Like, she's curious. I just don't like that verbiage, so had to point that out. No, and McCoy, the way McCoy actually treats her this whole episode is not good. Um, yeah. He keeps saying, like, if you want to have a career in Starfleet, you have to listen to your doctor. Like, listen to yeah. your people in command. I mean, she was, like, yelling at him and not responding to any of his like questions which like you should for your doctor yeah this was a like roller co- coaster episode because when i first <laughs> yeah. saw mira i was like omg ooh la la and then <laughs> when she's like yelling at mccoy i'm like mm, like mm. i don't like this and then at the end i'm like okay girl you yeah. fight <laughs> so i know right it's so so random also we don't have to talk about it but why was she a lieutenant and this was her first assignment in starfleet in the fleet. Yeah, yeah. What, maybe she not, was on... Not only first Deep Space assignment, but also her first assignment. Like, what was she doing as an ensign? I don't freaking know. Very that, it just seemed like that was wrong. They should have made her an ensign or a cadet. Yeah, agreed. Weird, weird. All right, well, we're towards the end of our mind control brainwashing. How's everybody Woo! doing? I hope you... Um, <laughs> get a snack. <laughs> get some, drink some water. You definitely need some water. I know everyone listening needs water right now, so go get hydrated. And um, I just drank some chocolate milk and completely ignored Ashlyn's advice. So, <laughs> well, I just got some Thai tea boba, and my heart was going so fast that my watch thought I was exercising. Um, <laughs> So, like, talking about Star Trek plus, like, chugging caffeine apparently just <laughs> makes my heart really go. So, um, I hope everyone else's heart is beating along with us as we continue yes. on through. I'm loving this. Can I just say, like, it's so fun to talk about something completely different than we've talked about so far in the podcast. I know. I feel like we're in a whole new era. It's really great. Yeah. A whole new era. era. All right. Well, um, okay. let's go where the children shall lead us, shall we? Yes. And the children shall lead. Now, at the beginning of the pod, like five hours ago, I mentioned that there was one episode I'd never seen the end of, and that's this one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because yeah. I fell asleep. And I <laughs> I remember the exact time I fell asleep. Like, it was like I was there <laughs> yeah. all over again as a 13-year-old just passing out. Luckily, I did not fall asleep this time. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> It's understandable. The Again, we're in the season three uh, slog a little bit here. I just have such, such issues with the kids episodes. Like <laughs> I talked about with Mirai and with this one. I really just don't like children, especially these ones. The way that they portray the children. It's just so annoying. <laughs> I just have to put that out. But also creepy. You know, we're talking about the child element again. This beginning of this episode, though, is really well done. Because we have them beaming down to a research colony to find that nearly all of them, including one of Kirk's really good friends, have all taken their lives. And his friend is like literally on the verge of death. He does not recognize Kirk. And then he dies. And so then, before we even get a chance to breathe, these kids just come running out and they start playing Ring Around the Rosie around Kirk. 
and they're like, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. And guess what? That song's about the bubonic plague. <laughs> so, like, the, the fact that they chose that song, the fact that there's these creepy kids singing around corpses of their parents, like, it's just set up to be a really freaking weird and creepy episode. I feel like that should be the title. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we'd have a lot of issues with that episode. <laughs> corpses of your parents. <laughs> creepy kids dancing around the corpses of their parents. That's, I mean, it's too long, but anyway. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is terrifying. And this ultimately is why I chose this episode over Mirai or Miri, yeah. because I feel like there's, like I was talking about earlier, there's more sustained horror throughout this episode, and Mirai kind of oh. goes back and forth. Kirk's like flirting with an underage woman. It's Ugh. it's very terrible. Awful. What I thought was crazy, okay, so thank you for giving that introduction, Rian. It really sets the stage. McCoy is down there and looking after these children, and Chapel actually has a, a good role in this episode too. She's sort of the totally. like children's caretakers because they've even mm-hmm. aboard the Enterprise and they're trying to treat them as the Enterprise is going to a facility where they can do further like research on them and like help them with their PTSD. McCoy brings this up right away. Like the children are playing and they're just not aware of the situation that's going on. And he says Literally that... dancing by their graves. Like, yeah, no joke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, like, the crew have buried the parents, and it really heavily focuses on the graves of all of these, like, scientists. It's really mm-hmm. sad. Kirk is surprised that these kids have PTSD, and McCoy's like, yeah, this is extremely common where, like, the brain is great at suppressing horrible things that you don't want to remember, and it mm-hmm. has this, like... You can just put that stuff in the back and mm-hmm. not deal with it until they're probably like 50 if they yeah. if this mm-hmm. had been a normal situation. Um, of course, I'm just going to drop the lead. These kids are being controlled by a ghost alien man. Classic. <laughs> a classic episode, sure. Yeah, and so they're they're going along. They're trying to figure out why aren't the kids dead like all of the adults. And Kirk is doing these interesting experiments with Spock where he's in this cave and Spock is scanning. Kirk goes to a certain point in the cave and he feels really anxious. And then he yeah. goes to another part of the cave and he feels a little better. And then he like goes to another part and he's like, oh, I'm so anxious. <laughs> Spock is like, I don't feel anything. <laughs> yeah, Spock is immune to anxiety, which is mm-hmm. great to hear. So jealous. Of Happy him. for him. Um, Good for you. <laughs> and what Spock is scanning, it turns out, because he sees on the frequency, like there's some like power that grows stronger in certain parts mm-hmm. of the cave. And that's the parts where Kirk is having the most anxiety. So this is really interesting to me. Like they talk about how they've never been able to measure emotion on a tricorder before like that should not be possible and so really seriously like what is going on and yeah it makes me like really worry about the kids except yeah. for the fact like this is a problem i have with star trek is that they make all the kids look like tiny adults like i <laughs> i don't know what Especially it is that ginger he looks like a like a 15 year old yeah so all these kids they look really weirdly old i just i don't know if it's something about the film strange so I'm I do worry about the kids but I'm also like very alarmed by them okay also this is my big problem with this episode and I think the the reason it falls flat for me as a spooky thing I want to be scared but this Mm -hmm. ghost alien I think I think when they like put out a casting call they said I want the most boring man on earth to play this (laughs) ghost 
Because literally, <laughs> like, the, the kids do their, like, creepy chant, which is creepy. Uh-huh. Like, it's so creepy. Yeah. So the build-up to it is like, oh, what's going on with these kids? Yeah. Then the ghost appears, and he has, like, this, it feels like a 30-minute monologue. He's like, oh my God. so then we shall go to the planet, and then we will <laughs> go over here, and then you, my children, shall follow. And I'm like, how are the yeah. kids not, like, fidgeting? Like, there's no literally. way. Because they're brainwashed is the reason. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I was getting put to sleep by this dude and I feel like that's and every time he appears I think okay maybe next time when he's on the bridge he'll be like interesting and scary and literally Kirk's like <laughs> crossing his arms like when is this guy gonna stop talking <laughs> literally like when will he shut up like what he says is definitely concerning he tells the kids that we will go to this station where like essentially he can I don't know drive more power and start brainwashing more people or what have you and he says I will have a galaxy to control and you will have one to play in so he's you know utilizing the kids desire to play and have fun and he also is using against them like their hatred of bedtime and real food and (laughs) really serious issues parents ask you to do you know they make you do that oh so boring so I think that like this is just a very very stereotypical like manipulation tactic for kids you know like haha I won't give you a bedtime you can play however long you want I'm the cool uncle yeah who just rolled into town yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, so it's really really tragic that this happens to these kids but they are freaky af and like I definitely feel bad for them like I think where my heartstrings tug the most is definitely when they're showing the clips of them playing with their parents oh my god and the kids start weeping and it's just very tragic but like a very good way to break them of this to be like remember your parents how much you love them and how they they played and had fun with you and they brought you along because they loved you you know and they didn't want to be away from you so they brought you to this colony and all of this stuff so it's a really great way of um breaking their hold that the ghost has on them but yeah, I think definitely the the creepy elements are the kids themselves and that the way that they're being manipulated is just horrible. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't want to take these kids seriously. Like, yeah, they're creepy, but I don't really believe as I'm watching this episode that they have any real power and that this yeah. ghost, because he's so boring, he doesn't have any real power because it's kind of easy to forget what happened at the beginning of the, ep- of the episode because we're on the Enterprise. It's familiar territory. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the kids one by one are taking over the ship. And they have Sulu believing and Chekhov that they're looking at the planet and that they're just chilling in orbit. I adore these parts, honestly, because the kid does this like, like he's playing rock, paper, scissors, like, like rock, paper, scissors, shoot, like the beginning part where he's Mm -hmm. like, do, do, do. And then the ghost like is able to control and manipulate Ahura and Chekhov and Sulu. And um, later like. Sulu sees flying knives. (laughs) in space <laughs> that makes me laugh so hard he's like i can't touch the knives captain like we can't go forward we'll get hit by flying knives in space poor sulu like what's going on in that mind of his why are you so scared like enterprise has shields yeah. the knives aren't gonna hit the shields oh. or the knives are gonna yeah um and then ahura sees herself like getting old and like dying almost mm-hmm. in um the mirror that appears on her console um which is like sad to see she's like frozen in like terror by this 
my I think my favorite moment is in engineering because Scotty is like, what's going on with you, laddie? Like, we're completely <laughs> off course. And he's losing it as he normally does. And you just see this little kid doing his rock, paper, scissors thing. Yes. And the kid is so cute. And he's I just, know. he's behind the screen. And it's just such a meme. I don't know. I just love that. He's like, hey, hey, hey. Like, also, that's where everyone does their evil deeds is behind that engineering screen. So like, I've seen true. so many people. <laughs> like, so behind there. true. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, at the end, they figure it out. And like you said, Rihanna, that scene is really heartbreaking. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really heartbreaking. Because then you see, because again, like we've forgotten how terrible the events were that took place mm-hmm. at the beginning of the episode. And the unsettling part about it is maybe unintentional because Kirk and McCoy are smiling and they are happy to see the kids are finally crying, yeah. especially McCoy. And I understand mm-hmm. from a clinical perspective Sure. Yes, it's it. This is actually a really good sign that they're mm-hmm. crying and that they're actually like taking starting process. Yeah, they're starting a process. But I'm like, oh my god, this is step one of years of trauma and therapy mm-hmm. that they're gonna they have smiling because they don't have to deal with it. Exactly, like out of sight, out of mind. Kirk is mm-hmm. never gonna check up on these kids again, and bad at maintaining. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. So for me, that was the most unsettling part. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was freaky. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Rihanna, this is the last episode of our brainwashing mind control section before we move on to witchcraft. This is, I'm I'm so excited. This is Wolf in the Fold. Let's do it. So we have, okay, is this like, I feel like this feels pretty novel, Wolf in the Fold, because it's kind of one of our only, I mean, I guess Journey to Babel-ish, but it's one of our only like murder investigations that we get in TOS. And that's kind of, that's a really fun thing to explore because we get a little bit of courtroom and a little bit of murder and a little bit of ghostly powers. I so just it's, don't... it's got it all. I mean, did, did you say only? Besides Journey Babel. Murder trial? Yeah. I feel like there's a thousand of them. <laughs> really? But I feel like of our, like, bridge crew, we don't have a lot of people murdering each other or being accused of it. I'm pretty sure Data was. Data was under trial no, a I, lot. I mean, TOS. <laughs> oh, and I just TOS. Mean murder TOS okay, vibes. okay. I mean, just ignore the undiscovered country and, and it's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay, no, it's a, it's a good point. It has a little bit of everything. It has sexy women dancing at the beginning mm-hmm. on a pleasure yeah. planet classic. It has violent murder. It has the actor who plays Piglet. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it has like interesting like traditions and mm-hmm. uh, like jealous boyfriends, motive, opportunity, Scotty. Yeah. Scotty. Um, yeah. One thing I want to note too is from the very beginning of this episode, they really established that there's some suspicious characters who could also be involved in the murder. And that I think is what sets up a great mystery is when you put enough characters in a situation where anyone could be a suspect. And of course, Scotty is the main suspect. He is holding a knife in front of a stabbed woman, looking terrified. He was going to go on a walk with her and maybe do other things. But is supposedly the murderer of this poor woman. Yeah, and if I didn't know Scotty better, I would be right there with everyone else and say, he murdered all these totally. women. Yeah. yeah. Um, Rihanna, I like what you said about how they set up other suspects. This is a mm-hmm. classic whodunit. This is like 
totally. textbook whodunit. Like, read any novel, go to any whodunit birthday party. This is exactly the same plot. <laughs> yeah. um, you have characters suspiciously, like, getting up out of their seats before Scotty takes the walk. You have people, like, giving each other the eye across the room. And the camera's really focusing in on them tight so you remember their faces. And they have really yeah. distinctive features. Like, the boyfriend shifty character has on this, like outfit that's kind of like memorable and Mm -hmm. this other guy's the musician in the band um while the lady's dancing so love that i think also the fact of the murder itself is really um intense because she was stabbed 12 times and that's that's not just like a quick little like slit the throat like that's like you are angry and that's a murder of passion in whatever yeah and violence in in whatever way i i also really liked kirk's dilemma in this episode because he is of course responsible for scotty and responsible for everyone on his crew and Argalius is a important port for the Federation because it's the only like trading post in the quadrant. So this Crazy. is kind of like the Deep Space Nine of this quadrant. Like, totally. It's really important and it's also a completely peaceful, like a pleasure planet, kind of like Risa. If Kirk messes up the relationship on this planet, it could reflect to all of Starfleet. And that would be terrible. Kirk might get demoted. Like, this is a really yeah. serious problem. Also, just the idea of your one of your senior officers murdering people is extremely unsettling. And totally. so I think Kirk, t- like, toes the line. Initially, I wrote in my notes, why isn't Kirk standing up, like, defiantly for Scotty? But then later in the episode, he's accused of exactly that, of, of mm-hmm. standing up for Scotty too much and not taking the investigation, like, all the facts seriously. I just can't help but think about a different captain like Picard or even Kirk in other episodes. Like he goes to bat for Spock and McCoy immediately. So it makes me notice how heavy these other factors must be for Kirk to being like, "Uh, let's play, do this by the book. I I believe you, Scotty, but we got to go through the proper channels. Mm -hmm. And we are introduced with other characters like the investigator and um, the husband of this woman who has a very like prestigious ancient power essentially it's really cool she gets to like awesome yeah she gets to like she's kind of empathic or something she gets to like see more truths than are present in like you know just what we see i guess she's sort of a medium is how what i thought of it as psychic abilities type thing and i really like too that even the ambiance you know we get like a fog rolling in when scotty's done the murder and then we go to this house and uh (laughs) Really just like, I think, obviously after the second woman's death, they should have just like not brought any more women in. Like usually I love when there's women in because yay, women. But like just to protect some ladies, maybe don't. <laughs> like yeah, maybe have all the invest. I mean, I know the medium had to be there. She had to do her power stuff, but still. <laughs> yeah, okay. The other, here's the other problem with this. Um, I was thinking that too. Stop bringing women into the situation because yeah. they're dying they're immediately. Stabbed. Also, yeah. so this lady who beams down from the Enterprise is one of Kirk's officers and she is bringing with her a psycho tricorder, which yeah. is an invention we just learned about in this episode. Yeah. Here's my suggestion. Bring down Spock and have him my mind milk. meld with Scotty. Thank you. That's exactly my thought. That's like too convenient. You know, maybe that's why they didn't do it. But even so, there's a way to write around that where Spock is like, oh, this like, (laughs) yeah, Spock is sick. Oh my God, of course. (laughs) Or just like Scotty has like barriers that even Spock can't penetrate or, or something. Like, I think they just needed to kill another lady off. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I thought the Psycho Tricorder was really cool and I wish in different episodes we would have seen it again. Same. Also, I have to say McCoy's role in this is really interesting to me too because he is kind of acting as the first officer in this situation because Spock is up on Enterprise and he's not really in the thick of the situation. And so McCoy, usually like there's this dynamic with Kirk and Spock where Kirk has an opinion, Spock lays out a bunch of opinions and then he generally... I think a lot of the times he does the opposite opinion and he's like, hey, yeah. you need to calm down or you need you need to do this. Um, mm. But in this case, McCoy is, uh, McCoy, who is somewhat agreeable, I think like in a lot of situations, he's with the humanity of Kirk um, yeah. compared to Spock. But in this situation, he's, I think, really negative about the situation and he's like trying to ground Kirk and saying, here are the facts. Scotty was discovered with all of this, all of these suspicious circumstances and I, I just really like to see him step up, even if I don't agree with him. Like, yeah, I think he knows that Scotty would not murder anyone, but mm -hmm. he's helping Kirk to balance all of these different factors that are going on. So I just had to throw one out for McCoy. And he's bringing up the fact that just like with the kids, maybe he has like repressed it, that he has traumatic memory loss or his concussion because he had just received one before the episode begins and so that's why they're coming down for some shore leave for scotty he needs to let off some steam poor scotty this this man is like in tears like the entire episode I, my heart just goes out for him you know and i remember watching this the first time and just being horror struck like this is our sweet little scotty who, who wouldn't hurt a fly like he loves the enterprise he loves his crew he loves women sort of. <laughs> he loves the enterprise best but like he still likes women and like there's no sort of malevolence in him and so to see him be this like supposed perpetrator is really off-putting I, I like that they did that that they brought someone maybe we wouldn't expect to be on trial like we'd expect Spock or Kirk or McCoy even to like even like check off I could see yeah. him off the rails <laughs> you know like this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Scotty's so sincere and earnest about all of this that it breaks my heart even more you know because like we're realizing later that this is a possession situation. <laughs> like, he was, the reason he doesn't remember is because he was possessed by the spirit of Jack the Ripper, you know. Um, so, like, truly, he has no recollection of the event. He just remembers standing over these women with a knife. I just really also want to applaud the uh, medium's husband. I do not remember his name. I love um, that dude. He's really cool. And he, I thought, would be way more, like, anti-Scotty, like, let's just throw him in jail or ex... Actually, no, the crime on this planet is slow torture <laughs> to death. <laughs> you all heard that, right? Yeah. Slow torture is the, the punishment Um Argelius does murder. not play around. Yeah, because they have no crime, like, ever. And so they're like, Haha, I guess we'll do that as the punishment because no one will ever do crime here. But this is what Scotty is facing if he is convicted. And so I really like, though, that this husband, he really, like, sticks through the investigation, even when Piglet, <laughs> even when the, the investigator. John Fielder. John, John Fielder. John Fielder. I don't know the actor or the character name, but it's John Fielder for all yeah. you buffs out there. Thank you. He piglet buffs. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh buffs. <laughs> I know that's like when Winnie the Pooh and Star Trek fans collide as this episode. Hysterical. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, so because uh, John Fielder is very much like, let's wrap this up, which obviously we, we realize later because he's being possessed by Jack. <laughs> but, you know, he's 
it, it seemingly like I thought it would be the other way around, especially after his wife gets killed. The other investigator guy is still willing to hear everybody out, to do a full trial, to listen to all the facts. And I think that's very admirable and something that like should be done in an actual case because he wants to know who actually killed his wife, you know, and Scotty is so, so genuine. Like he's on a lie detector and he's telling the truth about not remembering. Obviously it doesn't clear his name, but it at least helps to understand his uh, genuine concern about this. Yes, totally agree. That guy's so open-minded. And I think because of the history of the planet that there's been no violence before this, he's especially willing to get to the bottom of this because he doesn't want this type of thing to continue to occur. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to talk about that scene, though, where the medium is doing, like, they're all holding hands and it turns dark and that's when she gets murdered. Spooky! Before, yeah, yeah, it's probably one of the spookiest scenes, in my opinion, because... We have her saying Rajak, Rajak, you know, this word that we're wondering what it is. And then she talks about it's the stinking draft of the slaughterhouse. You know, like all of these, this is something I love so much about TOS is the era of writing for this was very poetic. It's very Shakespearean. It's very like, like all of that kind of writing for television in in the 60s and 70s was like, extra poetic like they really beefed up the language for a lot of these characters and in, in these episodes and it really enriches the the descriptions of everything like oh like that like slaughterhouse like stinking like a slaughterhouse is like a really visceral image and something like really freaky yes i totally agree i love this scene i kept thinking why is scotty anywhere near her like literally why'd he, you make her hold her hand yeah i don't think he was actually next to her he says later he, he was, was no he was lady's hand and kirk's hand on one side i thought he said piglet's hand no oh man buddy like yeah. this this is so dumb like honestly scotty should have been like locked away like he should be on the yeah. enterprise he should not be on the, the planet brig. yeah <laughs> yeah he should be in the brig Even... but i guess then piglet would have murdered done it anyway John yeah Peter. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yeah Ooh, and keep him away yeah and the other thing she says is it's a hunger that never dies yes well and these words are really important because when it comes to the climax of the episode they are recalling them and i love like this is like a McCoy gets to shine moment mm -hmm. because he didn't write that speech down at all and McCoy is like photographic memory or like yes. audio perfect memory where he's <laughs> saying the exact speech of everything that she said and I was like okay McCoy yes. look at your brain go this is why you're so smart I just good I, job I, eidetic memory yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I love I love him <laughs> he's so cute yeah I really like that they also make a reference to obsession what? This is so cool. Episodic Trek barely does this. TOS barely references itself. It's like a little drop her... of continuity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah. Which is the episode previous, right? Obsession was right before. Yeah, right, right fold. before. So it, it makes sense. They're like, well, it was last week. Hopefully you all saw it. Uh, Kirk references that, oh, well, we've heard of other entities that are non-corporeal that are intelligent. Like, uh, we discovered a cloud recently. Like, he does literally reference Obsession. So I thought that was so cool. Something that I love during this trial is uh, when they're starting to figure out, like, what was she talking about? And, mm -hmm. like, oh, she's referencing Jack the Ripper. What's going on? Yeah. Then they're, like, starting to unravel. And this part really reminds me of 20 Questions because... <laughs> 
the, they're asking the computer all of these things and slowly one by one they're narrowing down what the answer is and they've been like trying to figure out this whole thing that the entire time and there's something so satisfying about all the suspects being in one room it you know there's so many great stories like this where you're able to see everyone in full view and people are going up on the stand and the computer's reading their signs and everything of course jack the ripper never piglet never goes up on the stand yeah. um but like it's suspenseful as everyone's being questioned <laughs> one line i just thought was really funny was they're talking about jack the ripper and how he feeds on death and spock says we all feed on death even vegetarians <laughs> love that line i was like okay random he's like i'm just bringing up myself right now (laughs) yeah well and then they talk about ray jack or jack the ripper's mo which is women uh murdering and then the computer rattles off all of the instances of of like women who were stabbed to death over the centuries and this is creepy yep yeah i thought this was really well done major barrett amazing job doing the computer voice throughout all of this shout out always but also just like just the listing of it and it really also just reminds me of like the systemic violence against women and how it like permeates across the galaxy and i love that it's just jack the ripper but like it's also it's also just true you know like there is so many instances of particularly against women you know who are faced with these kind of violences and even spock which gross he says women are more deeply terrified yeah f you spock that is not true it just depends on the person yeah, I couldn't believe he said that. I was like, oh, yikes, that did Very not age well. That. Yeah. yeah, that was, <laughs> was terrible. Like, get off the stage, Spock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this is a common trope of original series to take something that was unexplainable and is like a deep mystery and then yeah. like solve it in a space way. I apologize already for making this reference, but it reminds me of Kuka Klan in the animated series <laughs> where it turns out that he built the, he told everyone how to build the pyramids and he yeah. created like Egyptian and Aztec and Mayan culture himself. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Anyway, it's, it's like they're saying that every like serial murderer that murdered women was Jack the Ripper. And wouldn't that be nice yeah. to think that it wasn't all of these people who hate women. It was just one guy who kept one taking over bodies. Women. It's, <laughs> it's simple it, like violence against women doesn't exist it's just yeah. one dude i know but i think also it is sort of a statement you know like they are trying to make about like yes it's this one being but it's also this one being inhabiting all of these people and so i you know it's sort of the like the, the trope that like anyone can be pushed to violence, you know, or anyone can be possessed by that Jack the Ripper into violence. Um, but yeah, it's true. It is sort of a like cop out of like, no, nah, like people are still evil and they still kill women every day. Like we need to realize that, you know, but um, it is a nice thought to think that like these women could have justice at some point from, yeah. you know, from this. Exactly. Well, and Rihanna, I love everything you're saying. I just, I feel like despite bringing this up, like, it's a problem and yet throughout the episode they don't protect the women at all you know the woman is in there taking the records and like she almost gets uh her her, she almost gets killed she's only she doesn't say a effing word the Mm -hmm. i was watching her and i was waiting for her to contribute something not Mm -hmm. that it's her fault she didn't contribute i was waiting for the writers to write her a line the Mm -hmm. only time she's involved in the action is when the jack the ripper he like gets into the computer piglet dies he transfers (laughs) his consciousness into the computer he's scaring everyone there's a couple scenes where um it's like crew versus jack the ripper um so good and uh 
at the end, Piglet comes back to life, grabs the woman who's been in the whole time, and threatens to kill her. And then and drugs yeah. and drugged up McCoy is like, "Hey, what you doing with that knife?" But yeah. which we haven't even talked about the drugs. So hold yeah. hold your horses. But literally, she was only used to be threatened to be killed. That was the only time. And like, come on, it's like Star Trek, like not even realizing that they're being sexist about this plot that they're trying to like talk about sexism too like it's just so yeah. I mean yeah. it just shows you how deeply ingrained sexism is and mm-hmm. even though like Star Trek is so progressive in so many ways they're still like so far we have to go and so much and it is better now but in TOS yeah. it's just interesting to talk about totally yeah but so the counteracting to Jack the Ripper is a tranquilizer and this is probably the like funniest part of the episode i love that we get a humor element but it's also creepy because we have jack the ripper like ha 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 i'm gonna kill you all i'm gonna destroy you and it's like echoey in the ship's voice you know he's taking over ship systems he's gonna go for life support they have barely like time to live to get through this but jack the ripper doesn't kill until he feels that people are deeply terrified that's why spock said the thing about women um that like the terror is what feeds him, you know, and they said that some some species feed off love, so it makes sense that there be a species that feeds off terror. And this is this is Jack the Ripper. And so I love that their solution is to just drug everybody, like just give them a trank and let them have a blast, and no one's gonna be worried. Like literally when Sulu got his tranquilizer, he says, With this drug I wouldn't be afraid of a supernova. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the best line. <laughs> I so once the computer has like gone into the ship kirk <laughs> kirk makes an announcement and he's like this is your captain speaking everyone stay at your post and stay calm because he knows like if anyone gets yeah. scared it's going to transfer jack ripper will be transferred into their body and for me mm-hmm. if i heard that like freak nope <laughs> yeah i'm freaking <laughs> i know it's like that's a secret code for it's time to start panicking also kirk is on the bridge and he's a like calm as a effing cucumber he's just like kind of laughing at the voice and he's like Mm -hmm. "Uh, whatever like it just ignore it it doesn't matter and sulu says like oh there's a malfunction over here like let's try to fix it and then that's when the computer starts going like ah i'll kill you you. and sulu's like this is the first time i've heard a malfunction threaten us (laughs) (laughs) sulu are the best one-liners in this well and i love too that like this is sort of a, a statement of like not letting the fear control you you know like this is kirk demonstrating even when he's not tranquilized he wasn't the entire time he was the only one obviously someone had to be of sound mind and body but like he literally like because he stayed his cool composure and everything like he showed that like you can stay solid against that type of terror and like overcome it you know absolutely yes and then i just a last thing about the tranquilizer is i kind of figured that they would knock out the whole crew, like, yeah. like passed out, no consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so it made it so much better that they were all, like, so drugged up. And, of course, you have yeah. to think, this is the 60s. This is, like, the totally. height of, like, drug culture. Like, yeah. all these writers could have been high while writing these episodes. Who knows? 
So I just love I doing too much LDS anyway. Oh, it's so. way too much LDS. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, I just love that everyone is completely drugged up. And even McCoy is kind of like, I want to stay clear. And Kirk's like, nope, you got to do it, Bones. And yep. I, I, I just love drugged up crew. And I was thinking like, this is the so best funny. day of their lives because most of them didn't even encounter Jack the Ripper. <laughs> yeah. And so they're just like getting injected free and they're drugs. like, yeah, exactly. They're like, hey, free drugs. And so once, you know, this whole time we've thought that uh, Piglet was dead <laughs> and um, <laughs> then he comes back because all of the other bodies have been taken over except mm. Kirk because Kirk's yeah. so calm he's like I guess he's claw armor, claw again. armor <laughs> shields and Spock you don't even try to get Spock no um but so Although I didn't want to see a tranked Spock but that's okay. <laughs> I would have died for tranked Spock but it's fine yeah. he probably needs like four tranquilizers he's Literally. probably like really got a high tolerance yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but uh so he come Piglet comes back to life and he's trying to murder everyone and then he gets injected with the tranquilizer and then to me this is the freakiest part of the entire episode is when he's tranked up and i think kirk or someone throws him over his shoulder and piglet's just i'm sorry i'm calling him piglet john fielder (laughs) is um he's just like ha 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 he's like murder kill i'll kill you all and like it's so so creepy I hate it. Even though I know he can't even cause any harm, the way that Kirk is walking slowly, calmly to the transporter, it's kind of like a ticking time bomb. It's like, what if he's able to, like... Take me over or something? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And then they just beam him into space. Like, straight into space, which... That is gnarly. It's, oh, like, goosebumps. Like, oh, they just, they're just like, bye, we're not dealing with you. Yeah, because they said that, like, it's hard to kill him, and so, like, his particles will be like alive for a while but eventually they will decay so hopefully no one runs into jack while he's decaying body will decay Decay. (laughs) yeah yeah so wow it's crazy such a great episode though fantastic um all right well we are moving right along with no time to waste folks (laughs) this is now the witchcraft section so uh yeah, I'm it's very excited. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. Um, okay, so let's start with what little girls are made of. This is, of course, the classic episode that Chapel finds out that her long lost fiance is alive. And uh, she's surprised. <laughs> um, and it's been five years since she's seen him. They go down on the planet. Es- essentially, he's like a robotics major. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> He has created a bunch of androids. Chapel, uh, or there's like a woman down there. Chapel's like, hey, I, I didn't, I don't remember this assistant. Um, they're all androids. And the thing that creeps me out, of, I mean, a lot of things creep me out about this episode. Um, but I think like the beginning does a really good job, especially when the random crew members keep dying because they Kirk yeah. sends down security when they're going to go talk to Roger Corby, who's mm-hmm. the fiance. And randomly, like, these guys are falling down into bottomless chasms. And they're just, like, not checking in on their designated security time. And it turns out it's because they're dead. And Kirk, again, there's this whole mystery going on about what's the whole deal with Roger Corby. But I really found the missing crewmen, like, to be pretty disturbing. Yeah, that, and also I think Rook as a character. This very tall, towering, like intimidating android i remember being just like freaked as a kid because he's he's very intimidating you know and he's tall he just especially when he's facing kirk and the only thing that saves his life is chapel's command like to to save him you know to be like hey don't kill him i'm roger's fiance and you answer to roger but 
I think really what makes this episode a spooky episode is the artificiality of it you know the learning that they are androids and like chapel scream when um roger corby's hand is like actually electric and it's got like wires and stuff in it that's so good you know and these moments where like and they shoot he shoots the assistant and he's got like electrical wires coming out of him and stuff and we start to learn that like everyone there is an android including they make one of kirk like they just make a kirk and chapel's just cool with this and kirk's just going along with this because they're kind of prisoners right now um yeah they can't really communicate with the enterprise surprise surprise yeah like, wow and so i think that the really the underlying themes of this is again power and control you know we have the old ones which i have this big theory that's probably never going to come true that the old ones who created the androids are related to the like soji dodge old uh, machines as well as the uh viger planet that the machine planet i just think they're all the same in my brain i just connect them all i like like that machine ai planet that creates these androids so the old ones this is a quote from ruck i believe he says the old ones the ones who made us became fearful of us began to turn us off and then the machines destroyed the people who programmed them and they were able to take over their programming ruck says survival must cancel out programming so it's just so interesting like I really love the the dynamics in this episode, um, but yeah, the overall ambiance is really good with like having it be underground, you know, there's not a lot of light, but there are captors, and that point where Chapel's talking to who she thinks is Kirk, but he's actually the android, and she couldn't tell a difference, you know, like that is really freaky, and I would, I'd be so, so messed up, I'd be like, I don't know who you are, I don't know what to believe, you know. The only one who can tell the difference is Spock. Because Aww. when Rook, it, we see, because he's an android, he can mimic everybody's voices. And so he... <laughs> data style. Yeah, data style. He calls up to the Enterprise and gives a report. And Spock's like, are you tired, Captain? Like, yeah. that's weird. And so right away, Spock is like, mm-mm, that's know, not my boy. I know my boy. Yeah. So man. <laughs> that's yeah, not his voice. Like, I knew mm-hmm. I pumped him with coffee before he left. <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, the ambiance, totally agree with you. The music to me was really impactful in this episode, especially when they're making the Kirk clone. By the way, mm. I would puke if I was Kirk. I oh, could, same. Yeah, could not. Yeah. Although he's like the worst roller coaster of all time. He's an astronaut, so I guess like oh, true. He does. He's like ready for trained for that zero g's puke (laughs) spinning. Um, But to me, not gonna fly. But yeah, that music is so good, and especially because for me, I'm keeping an eye on the real Kirk as the wheel is turning, and then eventually it goes so fast you can't tell who the real one is. And that was cool. They dress, of course, the the real Kirk up in the same outfits that Roger's wearing and the androids mm-hmm. are all wearing and then the fake Kirk is in Kirk's outfit. I wish they gave Kirk the female outfit. <laughs> that um, would be a thousand percent like, agree. Kirk's always at his slut era so oh I don't want to give him a slutty outfit. Oh, <laughs> like, yes! That's what I want! That's what give I want. Give me Kirk and Scant. Give me Kirk in the slutty android outfit. I honestly <laughs> Maybe want... Maybe I'll draw that. I want... Okay, draw it right now and then post it and send it <laughs> yeah. to me. Um, I was thinking I another outfit that is iconic is the female like android outfit like she looks amazing i want to wear that outfit right now for halloween one aspect we haven't talked about too much because we've been talking about everything that's amazing in these episodes but the camera angles specifically on kirk when he's android kirk on the enterprise 
are so good and reminds me of the enemy within when yeah. they're following like the camera is following directly behind Kirk so it's kind of like a POV shot except it's like if you were following right behind Kirk's really head <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah if you're like Rolaren after she died you're trying to get through different yeah. areas of the ship wow yeah. great great reference um <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly uh and so that really gave a lot of suspense because you don't really have any peripheral vision about what's going on you just see Kirk acting really sus and creepy and ugh, the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> Here we go. This is the penultimate episode of our podcast. We're about to have a silly time because this is the Magics of Magus 2. We are uh, in the animated series. This is an essential for the spooky series. Ashlyn, thank you for thinking of it. We've got real witches here. We've got real magic. <laughs> That's it. Like, this is a magical episode, literally. We have discussed this on our Patreon, so go back and listen to a different type of review, but I absolutely love this episode. I think that it has a lot of actually really great elements of the animated series that we don't see as often, which I mean is good writing, great voice acting. Roast, roast, roast. I know, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> And just, like, a coherent storyline. Like, I, I'm actually following everything. <laughs> Which is, like, low-key kind of rare for the animated It series. is rare. It is rare. I agree with all your roasts. Yeah. <laughs> so, the Enterprise has decided to journey to the center of the universe. And they are very excited to figure out what is going to be in the center. They said, oh, well, after the Big Bang, everything can continue to expand from that point of origin. So, let's go to the point of origin. Let's see some atoms being made. This is going to be great. I love that they didn't think about, like, what it would affect their ship. <laughs> they didn't, like, take any extra shielding precaution. They didn't, like, modulate their shields to, like, match it or whatever. I mean, I guess this isn't TNG, you know? <laughs> they're just exploring. They're like, whatever, what happens, we'll deal with it. And they do. They go to the eye of the storm when they're going at, like, warp 10. <laughs> it's, you know, so we have kind of this whirlwind beginning where the Enterprise is, like, about to break up. Yes. Um, and I have to know, everyone's thinking it. Yes, this is the same plot as Final Frontier. And yeah, in both the movie and in this one, they find uh, a man who goes by the name of Lucian or <laughs> the devil. Yeah, wow. You can't, I, yeah, you're right. You can't you ignore that. Sure. Yeah, we know. Right. <laughs> we know. And they know what they did. Well, actually, do they? Because they're probably like they really, probably didn't remember. really high, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I know the writers didn't remember, like, after they wrote it. But maybe yeah. Shatner remembered because he directed it, right? Oh my god, maybe this is his favorite, like, Star Trek episode ever. <laughs> and yeah. he was like, you know what? We're doing the magic Magics. of Megas 2, but I'm going to climb maybe in Yosemite so. first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, I love the art design. One of the many wonderful things about the animated series is that they're able to do, like, really beautiful art that maybe the live action series can't quite pull off without mm -hmm. like the use of CGI. So I love the effects of when they're entering the center of the universe. Yeah. Um, and then when they get there, the homie, the best creature to do. be alive. This is Lucian and he's like a satyr. He's got full horns and everything. He looks like Satan right away. Yeah. Um, but he's so nice and he's so welcoming to the humans and he's like, hey, and he's treating them like friends. And Kirk yeah. is asking him like, you're, you're talking to me like you know me. And he's like, dude, I spent time on earth. 
I know y'all. And he keeps saying phrases like, all you humans are the same, like, but in a good way. And he's like, oh, Mm -hmm. you're so curious. That's so cute. And he loves them. Yeah, yeah, he's like someone who did a study abroad, and he's like, "Oh my god!" Like I rem- I was, I was there for a couple months. Like that was great time. And man, all you guys are so alike. <laughs> yes, totally. Um, I love too when they're going into the eye of the storm. Real quick, McCoy has this great quip where he says, "At least I have a good sense to be scared, Jim." <laughs> Yeah, because Spock is, like, fascinating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I love that McCoy is like, well, I'm scared, <laughs> yeah. just so y'all know. <laughs> By the way. Lucian, the homie, saves them from the Enterprise breaking up, and he takes them to their planet, uh, which is in a alternate dimension where magic is possible. You and heard that is... correctly. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> correct. Uh, this is so fun because we get to see not just, like, cool people doing magic, we get to see people, like, living in a magic society where literally someone is buying a love filter so that they can like (laughs) attract men (laughs) and then we see another guy who's like a contractor a sorcerer contractor (laughs) who's like building houses for people i'm like i love that the attention to detail they put into this world to be like this is a whole magic civilization and lucian even says that they each have different specialists of magic like which is like super epic it's wonderful. I love seeing this. I also like when they first appear on the planet that Kirk is a ghost. <laughs> McCoy's like, Jim, look at you. <laughs> and he's just waving. He's a straight up ghost. It's beautiful. Yeah. And Lucian looks the same. And then mm-hmm. I think Spock is normal for some reason. And so yeah, is McCoy. And so is McCoy. Yeah. And then Lucian is like, oh yeah, you guys like to be more like solid. I forgot about that. And so he fixes yeah. Kirk. I just, I love mm-hmm. the spooky boy. <laughs> so good. Lucian's having a great time showing them around, but then he's like, oh my god, you guys have to leave right now. He sends them back to their ship and is like, just shut up, don't make noise, like, don't let anyone know you're here. And then, of course, the crew proceeds to let them know that they're there because they want to try magic. <laughs> it, starts out, it starts out with Spock drawing a pentagram, which is always a great place to start. <laughs> okay, so this is going to go, like, too deep than this episode warrants, but... I was kind of expecting Spock when encountering magic to kind of act like Scully in Mm -hmm. X-Files where he's kind of like, no, like this can't be real. There has to be like a science behind it. But he is so open-minded and he even tells Kirk to that he has to embrace the resources available. And that's when he starts drawing the pentagram. Like I just couldn't help but think about T'Pol in Enterprise when she's faced with time travel, which is kind of like magic because they don't understand the mechanics of it. She's just like uh, the Vulcan... The Vulcan science Science directorate says that time travel does not exist and, like, isn't Mm -hmm. possible. And I kind of expected Spock to do that same thing. But he is able to just accept that this is magic because he can do magic. Yeah. He says, this is the logic of the universe we're in, so it's logical that I could do magic. And then he does. He's just like, I'm going to move this chess piece. And then he does because he believes he can. And and they are like, wow, we're shocked that belief is as potent as a force as gravity is on our planet yeah i love this well and the whole ship doesn't work at all except life support which lucian turned on for them because before they were like choking and dying (laughs) please yeah Yeah. um but so they're trying to get the ship working and that's why they all start trying magic and Mm -hmm. then then the freaking pilgrims show up with lucian (laughs) these are not the puritans because they talk about that uh, they're dressed like in pilgrim outfits though or they're dressed like puritans it's really dressed like salem massachusetts style yeah like they just (laughs) never changed their clothes after they visited earth 
I think that they're doing it to show, like, you persecuted us. We're going to persecute you in the exact same way, the way you know and the way you did to us. Good thing they didn't burn them at the stake then. I know. They were going to, though, if they try, if they were tried, if oh. they were convicted. I'm pretty damn I sure. thought they were, because they were in the stockades. I thought they were just going to, like, execute them. Oh, maybe. But I think they'd burn them. Yeah. Because they're like, we want to do the full thing. We want to go Salem all the way. Poetic justice. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Well, and the reason that they're found out is because Sulu creates a woman. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know. I know. He creates a woman. I know. This Sulu, is before he was out. He he hadn't figured it out yet. <laughs> he was like, my lady? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he, like, goes to make out with her, which I was like, this is so questionable. Like, you created a being for pleasure. And thank God that's when Lucian comes. <laughs> He's like, what the F are you doing? <laughs> I told you guys not to be seen. And then, of course, the pilgrims are like, we did see you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I love that, like, not just the bridge crew, but everyone's in the stockade. <laughs> I know, I know. I love of this scene. It's 1691 Salem. I also love that the, the Salem people are like, okay, this is a trial. Who will represent you? And Spock's like, boom, hand to the air. He's like, Me. I will represent the humans because I am different. And they're like, yeah, you're different. Go yeah. for it. And like, he's instantly lawyer Spock. I love totally. to see it. And he's like calling yes. witnesses. He's like, I call Lucian. And he has all of these bullet points he's bringing up. It's and great. then he's like, I call James T. Kirk. And man, mm, beautiful to watch. So good. I love it. The best part, though, of course, is when finally everything comes to a head and Kirk is uh, <laughs> trying to fight the main witch dude. And Spock says, Jim, use the magic you know. Believe in yourself. And then Kirk yes. does like, like there's a gay pride flag like behind him yes. and he shoots a laser out of his hand and he destroys the witch and it's amazing but he like the fire and he's like fighting against asmodeus we find out his name is asmodeus um, <laughs> yeah i'm like yes it's the song we see both of them here yeah asmodeus calls them quote the vilest species in all the universe woof that's a lot. That's a big statement, you know, and like they were clearly very traumatized by their Salem experience, understandably, like to be persecuted when you're just trying to help like a civilization. That's rough. Yeah. And to the point where they are not allowing any outsiders into their culture and they're never exploring again, like they're so traumatized. And it's been like, yeah. what is this, the 2260s and that mm -hmm. happened in 1691? Like that's so yeah. long ago. It reminds me a lot of the changelings, you know, where they're like, we've been burned before, we're not leaving ever again, and we're not interacting with anyone else ever, you know, like, it's it's truly this, like, just cut off isolationist society. But because of Kirk and his loyalty, because they, they're going to do a whole uh, Voyager death wish, uh, oh trap him God. in a bubble by himself forever oh punishment. <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah, they put Lucian in this, like, red bubble of loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, poor guy. Like, he's the most social, he's a socialite. He loves to co communion with humans. Like, he's, they're BFFs, you know? And so, Kirk proves his loyalty. This is such a, like, Talos, this is such a Talosian view. They're like, we're gonna test you. <laughs> like, make sure you're actually loyal and good people. And, of course, Kirk proves himself. Yeah. And he saves Lucian. And even though the Salem dude points out, um, that's the devil that's lucifer mm -hmm. um and he's like whatever like he was nice yeah. to me and he's a good guy so you should give he him a break yeah he yeah. saved our lives um and so then the like another just maybe the best part i keep saying that because this whole episode is the best part um mm -hmm. then 
they get to go drinking with the devil. And uh, yes. Spock and Kirk cheers with Lucian after their accomplishments in this uh, sector of the universe. And then Spock makes a note as the Enterprise flies away. Just, I can't believe he says this. He says, Lucifer was cast out twice, but this time he was saved. And yeah. I'm like, Spock is literally saying, like, nice job saving the devil. And I just, like... <laughs> Like, what are Christians thinking, like, hardcore Christians, when they watch this? They're like, oh my god, Spock is a literal devil right now. <laughs> he said they're all devil worshippers. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, well, it's time. Your patience has been hard-earned, and you did it, and here we are. Yes. It's Cat's Paw! Meow! Yes, the final episode! Okay, this is probably, like we said, the episode that people think of when they think of a Halloween Star Trek episode. I think almost as a whole, you know, like as an entirety of Trek. <laughs> like this is like one that really stands out as being like spooky. <laughs> yes. Well, Rihanna, this episode did come out on October 27th, 1967. Oh. So uh, this was absolutely a Halloween episode. So it's perfect. We have to we have to talk about it. I mean, the the phrase "trick or treat" <laughs> is said twice. Makes an appearance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Scotty and Sulu had beamed down to this planet that is supposedly uninhabited. They have not been able to get in contact with them on the Enterprise, and Kirk is like, "We better go down and find them." So we see like the cornerstones of spookiness <laughs> in this in these very first moments beaming down on this planet. There's a rolling fog. No indication that there should be fog, as Spock's saying. There's not the right temperatures or anything for fog. And, I mean, I'm writing all this down. I'm like, the ambiance, the fog, the witch's wailing, the eerie castle, the black cat, trick-or-treat. Like, everything about this is just so, so thematically set into this episode. Yeah, absolutely. These witches are like Macbeth witches. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 They're, like, talking about death, and they're saying Kirk's name. Um, yeah. And, oh, yeah, they're, and they're meant to spook, for sure. Oh, they are spooky, too. Like, they're Very. hilarious. I love the makeup. Like, so, yes. <laughs> so, so the scary. wailing. Like, I love that. It's it's really good to set the tone. Yeah, and, I mean, so many away. We've seen thousands of away missions. I mean, this is season two, and there's been a thousand. And yeah. we've never been greeted by wailing witches before. <laughs> no, cannot say we have. Also, I'm very happy to announce that my cat is here for Cat's Paw. She oh. is currently sniffing the microphone. So Amazing. My cat's <laughs> probably yelling at me for a second dinner. <laughs> yeah. So then once they're done with the witches, they move on and they're looking for signs of life. They're like, why didn't these witches show up on our register? Like, what's going on? And then they see this grand castle, this very eerie looking castle. All of this is looking very suspicious to McCoy and uh, Kirk, you know, and Spock is not as used to the, like, human Halloween lore as, as the other two, but he's still like, yeah, something's clearly, like, designed for us. Like, this is all very human Oh, yeah. Well, and also I just want to note, like, we forgot to talk about the before the intro, um, Kirk's freaking out because his landing party isn't being beamed up. And then he only gets one person who beams up who's like oh. close to death. His face is like creepy, like mouth open, but there's like a voice coming from it. And it's a warning that if you come down here, you will be killed straight up. Oh yeah. He was the one who said the curse, the, the, yeah. the mouth man. Yeah. The yeah. mouth man. And then his, his red shirt guy's dead. 
Um, he looked like a doll. That was creepy. It was really creepy. Yeah, super weird. Also, I didn't catch it. Maybe I just missed it. But it is, it's Sulu and Scotty who are the other members of the away team down Correct. there. I totally yeah. missed that. And I was like, oh, it's just some red shirts. Kirk's going to go get his <laughs> friends. But then, yeah. like, once they finally enter the castle, they are <laughs> locked in a dungeon with a yep. skeleton. And um, <laughs> the best part, I'm sorry, Kirk is, like, checking on them. And he looks to his right. He sees Spock. He's like, you good, Spock? He's like, yeah. And he looks to his left. And he sees McCoy. But McCoy is chained next to a skeleton that is chained to the wall. And he goes, Bones? Uh, Doc? <laughs> he's literally like, I'm not, I can't refer to him as Bones when he's literally chained next to Bones. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the best jokes. And actually, he refers to him as Doc for the whole episode. Yeah. Even he's like, though... it seems improper now. <laughs> yeah, he's like, look, the president has been said, I don't want the skeleton yeah. thing, I'm talking to him. Yeah. <laughs> So sorry, continue. Yeah, well, I, I thought this is interesting because Spock, as usual, similar to Magic of Magus 2, I'm thinking, okay, what is, like, how, how what is Spock going to do when he is encountering magic or, like, the supernatural? Because mm-hmm. that just seems like the antithesis of logic and order and science, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of Star Trek quotes that talk about how magic is just science that we don't understand yet. And yeah. so I think Spock is probably operating in that way. They're like saying out loud, like everything that they're observing, like the castle, the black cat, and it's supposed to be things that terrify them on an instinctual level yeah. is what it seems like. That's their first observations. And so then they they keep changing locations, which is very jarring for me, like as a watcher, and it's got to be for them. And it's just, it's offsetting because they're chained up in the dungeon and then boom, they're suddenly like in this great hall with this black cat and this epic dude whose name is Korab. And to me, he looks so much like the main villain in Tom Paris's holodeck program. Yeah, um, Chaotica. Chaotica, yeah. He doesn't quite look like him, but he's got the same like design, like bald head, beard, mm-hmm. we'll um, like wonderful yeah. flowing robes. Definitely got wizard vibes. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Wizard with your black cat, like, Spock is even saying, like, oh, perhaps this is a familiar, you know, um, I love that Spock is, like, aware enough about, like, witch lore and all this stuff that even McCoy is like, a what now? A familiar? And I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> the audience needs this explanation, well, I guess. Well, yeah, and then Spock responds, I do not create the legend, Captain. I simply report it. <laughs> yes, that is one of my favorite lines. And we haven't even mentioned that this episode could also fall under our mind control because Sweet, Scotty, and Sulu are being completely controlled by Sylvia, uh, the cat, who we will learn is actually a woman. Um, Surprise. so many issues with this. It's like every Sorry. anime trope ever. I literally yeah. was just going to say that. Actually, let's just talk about it right now. This freaking Gary Seven has a cat who turns into a woman. Why is this a thing? Like, I've talked about this with my girlfriend. We watch so much anime. And anytime I see a cat, I'm like, it's probably going to turn into a naked woman. And then it, nine times out of ten, it does. And I just don't understand what is the deal with, like making cats be sexy ladies it's very irritating and i wish it would stop (laughs) i think the temptation is too great to not just say it's a pussy you know like i hate that though pussy cat i'm i'm saying like yeah but it's just awful i know (laughs) (laughs) i know i mean that being said if i had the opportunity to turn to a cat i absolutely would Oh, yeah, way more than another animal. So yeah. I get it. <laughs> the yeah. inclination's there. As Miss Wiseman always says, I sympathize, but I do not empathize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very good point. Yeah, so um, 
Also, I know we're jumping around a lot, but I have a quick question about this comment Kirk makes because Kirk says when they enter the castle, like, oh, a little bit of trick or treat, is it? And Spock is like, trick or treat, Captain? And then Kirk's like, oh, I'll explain it if it comes relevant or whatever. And he says, Spock would be good at it. What is, the, what, 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 what does he mean? Spock would be good at trick or treat? I was wondering, like, which part? Like, does he think Spock will be good at the trick or good at the treat? (laughs) Spock is given him plenty of treats, probably, so maybe he just knows. I don't know. Yeah, but, like, like, what aspect of trick or treating would be appealing to Spock? Like, going to... And what would he be good at? Like, what is there to be excelling? Like, is he good at knocking, you know? (laughs) Like is, he is good at holding out his bag of candy, or maybe like, the the opposite. Is he good at opening the door and giving candy to children? I like well, maybe. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I just, I'm yeah mystified. <laughs> if anyone knows what the what the hell Kirk was saying, maybe maybe because he's maybe it's like a racist thing because he has pointy ears and like he's he'd oh. be a good Halloween character. Maybe I went for I went to Spock for quite a few Halloweens mm-hmm. so. I was good at trick or treat. I was Zahura. <laughs> yeah. Just side note. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So poor Scotty and Sulu have been possessed by the cat lady, Sylvia, and she essentially has them completely under her thumb. Like, they will do whatever she pleases. Yeah, they have a phaser. That's how the trio finds Sulu and Scotty in the first place is they come in with a phaser and are like, let's go, boys. I mean, they don't say anything. Yeah. They're like glossy-eyed. Um, yeah. I'm sad for Takei and Doohan when they got their scripts because they have no lines. <laughs> no lines. <laughs> They're just yeah, like, I don't think they speak at all. No, they don't. They're like, walk to center of room. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Look vacant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so after this first encounter, um, when we find out Sylvia is a woman, she keeps McCoy back for a little discussion. And mm. I mean, you can kind of assume what's going to happen. But then Kirk and Spock continue their conversation about like what the heck is going on. And I, what they reveal, which I really think is interesting, is that these beings, um, Korab and Sylvia, seem to be surprised that, especially Korab is surprised, that what they have been presenting in the castle and all of these like mythic, like in, like scary images are not familiar to Kirk. And so mm-hmm. Spock believes that they were trying to read their minds and create a really familiar and comfortable illusion for the humans. But what they did on accident was read the like twilight subconsciousness of humans. And I'm just going to say, if my twilight subconscious is like a scary haunted house, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not mad. <laughs> like, wow. Like, it's, it's, it's way to go brain. Like, <laughs> yeah, brain. Think of spooky things. Like, good job. Literally. You did it. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. I liked this sort of explanation because we need one, you know? Like, we can <laughs> yeah. obviously see that they're doing some kind of pseudo-magic. He has a literal wand uh, at some point. It seems like Sylvia can do magic on her own without a wand. No um, rules are given. <laughs> yeah, but Koreb needs one. So who knows? But it, it's really interesting to see the, na- the dynamic between the two of them because Koreb is really kind of sweet, gentle, more just trying to, like, let me tell you the situation why did you come down here? This is our domain. Like, please don't. But Sylvia really wants to toy with them. She's really playing cat and mouse, like no pun intended. She is like the lights of Zetar, like the Zetarians, really enjoying the corporeal form and enjoying the allures of touch and of sensations. Like they haven't been able to feel or see or smell or all this stuff in so long. And so to have these humans to toy with is really enjoyable to her. But Kirk uses that to his advantage, like he did with, with Lenore. Lenore, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, and again, he's a master. He is so used to charming women, he knows exactly how to do it. And what I thought was great about this too is at some point, like she's really into it and she's like, mm -hmm. yeah, making out with him and happy. And then somehow her pendant tells her that he's trying to trick her and trying to mislead her. And she's angry, she's pissed. She's like, you're using me, how dare you use me? And he's like, why not? You've been using my crew the whole time. And Literally. I am so, like, I'm so in agreement with Kirk. It's like, okay, like, yeah, it's not great to try to, like, be this way, like, to kind of be a player to women, like, on the outside view. But, like, look at what they're going through. Like, Kirk is doing everything he can, even though it's unorthodox and it's not, like, a st classic Starfleet method. Yeah. Um, this is awesome. And I'm just like, yeah, you tell him, Kirk. <laughs> Kirk's like, women can be manipulators, too. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, like hey. hashtag not all women and yeah. not all men, question no. mark. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, like, I really love that Koreb is the, it then sort of turns to their side, you know, once Sylvia starts getting really pissed off and starts to become a gigantic cat, which is freaking amazing. I just love all the cat scenes, because, like, we used to have a black cat. I have a really special place for, like, black cats. The, they're just so sweet. And because they're always assumed to be bad luck, I love them even more, you know? And Same. their Halloween vibes, you know? They're, they're just amazing. Even if it's Sylvia, who's, like, low-key evil, she, I love that she chooses the cat form, Spock says, because <laughs> cats are the most ferocious beasts in the galaxy or something? What did he say? I don't have the exact quote. I think but he said, like, in human history or yeah. something like that. And then he gives examples like cheetahs and jaguars and, like, big old, like, wild cats. But Sylvia yeah. turns into this cute little black cat. Little house cat with a little collar. Like, she's got the whole thing. If she yeah. was a panther, like, yeah, I'd be scared. But what's, like, that's what's great about this episode is the filming of the cat is amazing. Because clearly yes. they just had a camera up to, like, the face of a cat they were, like, holding yeah. to the camera, that you poor know? poor cat is just like, <laughs> Yeah, like, meowing. It's a good trained cat, though, because it, like, runs around the hall like so they good. used a real cat it's not like bewitched where it's an obvious like cat yeah, puppet cat. Yeah. um they might have in some scenes but for the most part it looked like a real cat um totally. yeah i'm just like not scared of the cat at all but it's and <laughs> the sad thing is like Korob, he goes to the side of the enterprise crew because he confronts sylvia and he's like you are going against everything we stand for we came here for research and yet you're using this form to like torture people and it's awful yeah she's torturing the enterprise at one point she has the enterprise on a string and she's like burning them up yeah and yeah. she puts them in like a plastic cube so they can't yeah. like get out of orbit they can't leave the planet yeah and poor Chekhov. this is one of his very first episodes and like the the, the acting captain who's this rando <laughs> is like questioning him he's like do you know how to scan and Chekhov's like i'm not that green <laughs> it's just like the best <laughs> Anyway, okay, I, have to, I have to say, I, in my notes I wrote, who is Mr. DeSell? Um, yeah. But that was also because I forgot that Scotty and Sulu were down on the planet. So, like, the mm -hmm. chain of command, like, what is it at this point? Because apparently this DeSell security officer is the highest ranking man. I or, just wish it were a Hura. That would have been the best. Bro, like, ever. I'm saying, I'm saying, yeah. I wish it was a Hura. That would be the only thing to make this episode better. <laughs> I just feel like DeSell, like this actor, again, it, like they did a roll call and they're like, who's the most plain faced dude Boring we can find? Man. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's cast him as this acting captain. And we never see him again. And I'm like, no. DeSell, what's happening to you? He was weird, and, yeah. Um, yeah, so Korab, he, like, does a complete 180, and he's like, okay, well, my crazy Sylvia lady 
what what I do appreciate is that he doesn't completely turn against her. He just helps no. the crew to escape because he loves her. Like, they're supposed to be together. And, like, they're teammates on this whole project. Like, they're the only yeah. ones of their species on this planet. And so I love the way that he words it because he says she is completely overwhelmed by the sensations and the new experiences that she has in this corporal body. And so she's being completely like taken over by them. And so she's obsessed. (laughs) Yeah. So she, he knows like, this is not who she is. Like she's just acting terribly in the circumstance, but it's not really her. And so it like, he still loves her, you know, he still cares about her. He's still, he's not really defending her, but he's explaining her behavior. Um, and so it's really sad when the scary old black cat, like, knocks a door down on him, and he he dies. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I think it, yeah, and and then we have this moment where Kirk takes the wand, and he can do magic. I was literally thinking magics of Magus 2. I'm like, perfect, Kirk can do magic again. We're, we're set, you know, and then he ends up breaking the wand, and that's what finally dissipates all of the illusion, everything that was holding everything together. Turns out, these two entities are little birds? I thought, like, praying mantis bugs or something. Oh, <laughs> that too. Bird I'm, praying mantis. I mean, the whole explanation, like, when Kirk and Spock are hypothesizing throughout this episode, I thought they were, like, not visible beings. You know, like, they were just kind of, yeah, like, floaty ghosts yeah. or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. so the fact that they're these tiny little creatures is really interesting. And that's mind-boggling, yeah, Frank. <laughs> that was honestly the, like, the... I only remembered the cat and those little creatures at the end is all I remembered of this episode. Oh, I did not remember that. <laughs> yeah. I was completely floored, like, frankly. Uh, and they died smoking. Like, what? They yeah. And then well, they, how did they die? Like, the, the magic wand, did that kill them? Well, Kirk did a very questionable explosion with the wand. Because yeah. he's, like, there's this whole chase scene. And then, finally, it's a face-off between Sylvia and Kirk. Kirk has Korab's wand. And mm-hmm. she has his phaser, which she says she's reloaded with power. She's like, you can't even use that wand. You don't know how. And Kirk's just like, watch me. And he, boom, like, causes an explosion and everything like reality collapses and they're just on this barren planet once again Mm -hmm. and so i think he murdered them um yeah yeah, inadvertently and i think again you know we talk about how these endings kind of stick with you i just didn't think that they were dead i i thought they would like fly away and like go to a different planet or something also the fact that spock says i would like to study them further so it seems like spock's gonna get a jar and like scoop them up which is problematic (laughs) that's a problem yeah Yeah. that was interesting yeah this ending was pretty unsettling for an episode that is kind of fun even though it has these spooky elements which still like tos shenanigans yeah well and rihanna i should have answered your question like kirk because mccoy says what happened when because obviously scotty sulu mccoy they have all returned to normal they're feeling good and kirk says it's difficult to explain (laughs) that was the writers being like we don't want (laughs) to yeah exactly they're like bye there's the end of the episode see you later yeah Yeah, exactly well, along that same vein, Rihanna, um, roll credits. See ya, roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> we did it! Yay! Five hours later! Woo! Uh, 
Um, wow, this has been a record. We haven't done a long episode like this in a while. So once again, thank you to everybody for listening. And I hope you had a great time. I want to do one last shout out I forgot to mention earlier. And there have been so many spooky collaborations going on on Twitter and in Star Trek fandom right now. Yeah, so Where's Bev did an awesome collab episode, a Halloween special with Computer Resume Pod, Liz from the Antimatter Pod, Michelle um from open pike as well so very exciting epic collaboration also a strange new pod our good friends over there have been watching a spooky star trek episode every day of october and i actually poached some of their episode ideas for this watch list today and for the watch list for the rest of the upcoming episodes so thank you to giraffe from strange new pod for making this list and she had to thank mc freudis for helping to create the list. So thank you to both of you. I'm sorry for poaching, but uh, you know, you do what you gotta do. It's all all hands on deck sometimes for creating these watch totally. lists. Yeah, yeah, we really appreciate everyone. Stay spooky out there. We can't wait to talk TNG spooky episodes with you next time. Yeah, absolutely. Rihanna, I can't wait. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please join us next time to talk about all the hair-raising episodes in Star Trek The Next Generation. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and our merch on Threadless. All links can be found in the bio of any of our social media pages. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, a review of Galaxy Quest, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Scissors podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Scissors podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, villains, movies, feminism, death fakeouts, and first officers. If you haven't heard a particular series yet, please go back and listen to any of these amazing episodes. Social Media and Marketing by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Editing is done by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Our intro and outro is by Jerry Goldsmith. The cycle of blame onto a elephant. So it's literally like we're. It starts the cycle of blame. It starts the cycle. It's our... very cheery. It <laughs>